Hey everybody, we're back with another commission podcast, back on the commission grind. Uh, we have a bunch of commissioners to thank. This is another community commission where a multitude of Bald Move fans came together and bought shares in a project to 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 to, to share share the load. So say they all. Uh, the commissioners are Jay Nothing has corners for some reason. Russo, which should, should I? I think I I already like spoiled what it's going to be. It's Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, I mean the title we. We write titles on these podcasts. I, we do. So, yeah, we do. We, you clicked on it's it. You know what it box. is. No. Uh, has so, corners on what? Is, what is his name? Jay. Nothing has corners for some reason. Russo. I don't know if that's a bald move joke. I don't know if that's no. A wire it's a Battlestar thing. So like in Battlestar, the the corners, for lack of a better term, are chopped off of all the documents. Oh. So they're in like right. this weird hexagonal, like yeah, yeah, extended yeah, yeah. hexagonal kind of thing. It's this future. But I I take issue with no corners because I just think they doubled the number of corners. <laughs> It's They're true. just weaker corners. It's like true. you have less of an angle, but you have more corners. That paper is made out of unstable proto matter, and if it had just four corners, the whole thing, the whole thing yeah. would blow. Uh, Jeff Anubis twenty one, Cleveland Punk, Manoj, Matt from Boston, Devin from Maine, Ben from Ironwood, ISD. Uh, these uh, uh, the, the, now I'm starting to try to divine people from usernames. Uh, mm. LSD five U or maybe ISD five U. Okay. Depending on how trippy you want to be. Sam N, Leap Lizard, L Stinger, Shinson 90, Jeffrey W, Inquiry, Shane, the Bowman Bowman, and Nick Honesty. Uh, now, these people all took a pretty big risk. Or maybe it was the last thing left in the store during the Save Bald Move campaign and they're just <laughs> chipping us in money. Uh, but I, I did put a warning that, like, I really don't. I. I I noped out of this at the end of season one, um, mm-hmm. and I sat down to watch it in the winter of '09. So I think the show is already complete. Yeah, it was. And I started watching it, and because you you spoke so highly of it, and in fact, I think we watched a lot of the episodes together. But I think I, maybe Caprica had already been canceled by then too. <laughs> could be, could be. Um, but I I started having problems with the show, and it just like. Like big problems, mm-hmm. which then started leading to a bunch of nitpicking, which, you know, that's my my greater theory of suspension of disbelief. Like once that threshold has been crossed where you no longer like suddenly things that otherwise you would be like, oh, you're a fucking nitpicker become like the biggest issues in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say that the show is well made. It does a lot of things right there's a reason that lots and lots of people like it and it filled a probably important hole in the science fiction gap at the time because i'm trying to think back in 2009 what was going on in the science fiction fandom like star wars was in a bit of lull right there was no like maybe mm-hmm. i don't know when jj abrams first star trek came out um but like you know there wasn't sh- certainly a lot of stuff good stuff on television so uh, I think I yeah, see. No, I, I, there, it, it's it's obvious why people like this. It's it's obvious why a lot of people like this show. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be. I'm okay. trying. I'm trying to make nice everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, 2009 I, is when this first Star Trek came out. So I feel like this 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 really? this okay. filled filled a lot of uh you know science fiction shaped holes in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And you uh really like the series. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. And you've I, seen I the whole thing. I think it's um. Especially at that time, I feel like it's an important show, not just for sci-fi, but for, like, human beings. Because, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, 
George Bush was president at the time, and we were dealing with the war on terror and and all that that encompasses. Well, and, in 2009, when I started watching, we'd begun the nightmare era of Barack Obama. Okay, yeah. Uh, Th- this was in 2004, though. So right. It, it was quite a while before that when I was watching it. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I think it had a lot to... it. It's interesting because in my mind, okay, so this is Ronald D. Moore show, right? Mm-hmm. Who was a producer or writer on Star oh, Trek? Oh yeah, like Next Generation, controversial figure in Trek fandom because he's right. one of the ones that and kind DS9, of put the stake right? through the heart of the Roddenberry hopeful, optimistic exploration era and ushered in the grim, dark Star Trek of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Yeah, and you can very much see. I, I would compare this to Star Trek, but it's it's a more it's it's all those things that you just said. It is more, I guess, nuanced and realistic than mm-hmm. a Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, series would ever be. Right. Um, and and I, I think it's important because it kind of, in my mind, takes a lot of issues and doesn't give you a clear-cut answer on a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. it encourages you to think about it, which I always think is some of the best stuff. It's you know? also aspirational in a different way from Star Trek because... It is. Like, Star Trek is essentially... F- perfect humans right uh where in what i know what i what i noticed in um like battlestar is you don't see any like sexism or racism but people mm-hmm. still swear they drink they get angry they punch each other women punch men men punch women yeah they, like they make mistakes it's like but no one is necessarily inherently better than anyone else so it's like they've got it, it's like the it felt more of an evolution of human beings rather than someone just completely taking the pineal glands out of humans, right. which Star Trek sometimes feels like at times. Which makes a lot of sense for this story, I guess. Um, but but it's also, it's a world that doesn't kind of, I guess, whitewash the consequences of people's actions. Mm-hmm. Like, it has a very firm memory of what people decide to do mm-hmm. and and kind of runs with the consequences of that. It makes people pay the cost for it a mm-hmm. lot of times. Um, so, to me, that's one of the things that sets it apart from, like, a utopian Star Trek vision. Right. Is, is that idea that people are going to do bad things. Um, and, and especially when it comes to, like, the characters that you're supposed to love and hate. You're not supposed to ever hate anybody on Star Trek. Yeah. Except the the very bad guys, right? Yeah. Like the evil, you know, Khan or whatever. Yeah, you're supposed to hate Borg. him. Or the Borg. You're supposed to hate them, but you're I mean, never he, supposed to hate Riker. And, and even, even right? the Borg, they'll bring in a cute Borg. Sure, sure. They'll bring yeah. a lost little puppy Borg or yeah. a super hot Borg and try to humanize them because that's what Star Trek does. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you know, you don't. You're not supposed to hate Riker. Whereas there are times in this series where I hate every single person, <laughs> yeah, right. and there are times where I love every single person. Like yeah. they're they're flawed beings. Um, they're trying to do the best they can to survive, and I think it, it, not just from a military perspective, but from a societal perspective and and personal. Yeah, and I will say that's another thing that I think the show does really well is its characterizations um, and the relationships between them uh, feel really and ground, and it's one of the strong points of the series. Yeah, Um, far more so than, like, a Star Trek. Like, the the writing here, I think, is much better than than any of the Star Trek series I've seen. Sure. Okay. All right. I also like... (laughs) Those are a lot of things I love about it. uh, I also like the the fact that in Star Trek, religion is something that other cultures experience. Right, and, and, and we look down on it as kind of kinda, all these silly primitive cultures. Kind of, but also, like, you can't, like, Picard won't just be like, ha, ha, you're fucking sky gods. Like, 
Um, right, but you know, he's, he's got the he prime shows, directive holding him back. He, you sh- should he shows see the res- yeah, he's like, how he he's, feels unleashed from that. Yeah, when he gets on r slash atheism, right. he just is a fucking <laughs> asshole. Um, but in and I, I like in this world that they still and I'm that's the thing. Like, I don't. I, we we talk about this in the leftovers podcast a lot. That like I'm not sure that religion is something that humanity will ever outgrow mm-hmm. because it seems like religion can adapt and change the times to uh as long as humans die they'll always need a way to grapple with that you know cosmic unfairness the fact that we are mm-hmm. this 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 intelligent matter that can comprehend our own existence and comprehend the end of that existence and that's i don't know it just doesn't feel like that's something that the the evolution kind of <laughs> equipped us to deal with because by the time sure. we're getting old enough to th- feel our mortality we've already you know we've given we've and served received enough loads and and yeah. had and given all the children we're going to give and 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 our genes are done with us at that point so yeah um coming up with ways to to try to make meaning and find purpose in in a world and a universe that has none mm-hmm. um you know religion and metaphysics seems to be able to fit that bill and, and and religion will change and grow over time i mean you can see that the catholic church we have today is not the religion well, I mean, this is probably super controversial to Catholics, but it's literally not the religion that that was what I, I think that, that that Jesus left on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a Jewish reformation movement, uh, and the same thing. Like, you know, everything everything you can say about Christianity past Catholics is just you know more splinters and more change and more evolution. And you know, Baptists today are not the same as Baptists were a hundred years ago, et cetera, et cetera. And I like the fact that instead of in Star Trek universe, everyone's essentially a, a warm and fuzzy agnostic atheist. Uh, you've got, um, you know, uh, if you, uh, you've got people that are agnostic and atheists, and you have people yeah. that are very much believers. And mm-hmm. you've got uh, sometimes problematic intersections of politics and religion. Yeah. And I like that because, like, that's something I feel doesn't get talked about in an honest way a lot. The fact that if you're a sincere person of faith, you know, a lot of times we talk about this in, in, in like, uh, well, you shouldn't impose your views on others. But if you're a sincere person of faith, it's going to inform your worldviews in ways that, even if you're not talking about imposing your faith on others, if you feel if if you feel like there's a eternal reward if you act this way, that's going to influence who mm-hmm. you are and what you believe. Sure. You know? And uh, I do think there is a little bit when you look at some f- particular American foreign policy, a lot of that foreign policy is informed by a particular branch or interpretation of Christianity. And I don't see how you can tell people to ignore that. No, I think it's foolish to ig- ignore. Uh, well, you're not saying that they should ignore the fact that politics is influenced by religion. Right? Well, I'm, what I'm saying is, like, I'm, if, if, I was, if I was an evangelical Christian politician, right. how the hell can I put all of my right. feelings and, and, and what I think of as my eternal creator wants me to do and how that's going to infect, uh, affect you know my life and my eternal future and my family's sure. eternal future and uh, perhaps the fate of uh, the world? Mm-hmm. How can I put that aside and just, you know deal with something on a case-by-case issue so it's like yeah on the other hand the the show is so good at at conveying those two they're not even two sides they're just two different kind of perspectives of approaching the same problem on on the other hand it is also horrific to be someone who doesn't have that same value and belief system to see someone looking like they're driving a car off a cliff Mm -hmm. 
for bl- of blind faith. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I want to stick on the praise mode. The president Rosalind character is is that Thelma and Louise character for me, where it seems like she's always trying to hijack the car and drive it off the cliff to uh, mm-hmm. Adama's um, kind of more rational, trying to keep the car on the road and do what it needs to, 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 to ensure humanity's survival. Yeah, and actually both of the Adamas, like Lee and... Uh... Will William Bill? Yeah, yeah, Adama. sure. They they both at one point or another are kind of the foil for Roslyn, right? Um, and I kind of like how their relationship with her changes over the course of the show. Um, of course, I can't speak to that because I I stopped watching at the end of season one, right? Uh, and then I actually watched the first episode or two of season two on on my commission rewatch here. So I've mm-hmm. I've moved the ball a few, <laughs> another yard or two down the line, uh-huh. and then fumbled. And fell on my dick and broke it. Okay. And don't really want to continue, but uh, yeah. Um, ah, that's a shame because I think like season one is just the setup for stuff that I gets know. so much there, more interesting. There are so many great big ideas in this series. Um, and, and the stuff that you're talking about that you like uh-huh. it, in large part happens later on. Like the politics and the religion coming up against like science and mm-hmm. faith and justice and what that means and how you – like. I, I talked earlier about the terrorism thing because there's a segment of this show that deals just entirely with that from the opposite perspective. Like, if you are, if you are the, I guess, oppressed society here, and you're you're feeling like it takes our heroes and it puts them in a situation where they resort to tactics that we would view as terrorism right. in, in our modern day society. And how do you feel about that? Like, uh-huh. and. And the thing I really appreciate about it is it kind of weighs the pros and cons and the good and the bad of it, you know? Nobody nobody goes into it. The show doesn't approach it from this one perspective. Mm-hmm. Every character has a different idea about what they should do here, mm-hmm. and everybody argues it out, and they, they, they express all the different sides of it. Yeah. So I feel like whatever your views are on science versus religion, on uh, faith versus, you know— justice and politics and all of these things that are wrapped up wrapped up kind of like on top of each other you you are gonna get something out of this show and there's gonna be someone for you to root for and someone who can kind of connect you with the other side of it Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the most interesting things that it does whereas star trek will kind of just sit back and say here's the right answer right um it's messier than that you know Mm -hmm. it's and, and in that way it feels more real and it feels more grounded i guess and it's not quite as aspirational but i think ultimately it ends up being that because you know everyone comes together in the end and can kind of learn to live with each other and and that's where i think it's aspirational so i want to i don't know if you want to talk about some other strengths of the show and things you enjoyed we can do that there's a couple of things i still i like some some big picture ideas that Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I admire about the show and or I thought was exciting that we can talk about. Um, I have a lot of like proceed? specifics. I have like some big moments of the series that I really love. Right. Well, I feel I like you should go about and then the I'll chime in when necessary and then there'll be a point in the podcast where I can then pivot to talk about some issues. And I'm going to try to start – I'm going to try to keep it the first principle things because I – you know, I'm going to try to tell you the things that – kept me from engaging and a lot of these are very personal to me and the the the, mm-hmm. the point in my life when i was watching the show and i'm gonna try to not engage in like some petty nitpicking i might nitpick a little because you know that's there's there's got to be some people that, that feel like i do um and also 
there's some sh- there's some of these episodes that I felt were so close to being truly great that the flaws w- seem extra silly and magnified. Hmm. You know, okay. like in a, in a sh- movie like Crank, mm-hmm. what the hell is even a plot hole? Yeah, if you're nitpicking in that movie, you you're doing it wrong, right? But like, if in the middle of There Will Be Blood, if Daniel Day Lewis walked into a scene with his dick hanging out. That might be intentional. <laughs> and, not and, sure and, that that and, and did like the Charlie Chaplin kind of like uh, umbrella twirl with it. I'd and, be asking, what does it mean? And, and for 30 <laughs> seconds. And then, then then he came back at the door and came back in. And it was Daniel Day-Lewis again. You'd be like, the fuck? And then and, and that's all people would talk about when mm-hmm. they talk about it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, that's but but I, I want to stick to the positive stuff because, you know, people paid money for us to commission this podcast. They don't want to hear me just uh... let's talk about the acting. So I think the first the first string actors here are really, really good. Like you've got Edward James almost who, in my opinion, like he has such a powerful, stoic performance he's in very, this show. He does have gravitas. Yeah. And, and that's kind of his M.O., you know, from all the way up from stand and deliver. Like he he is this very. um silently charismatic and powerful person. Plus um, he looks like just by virtue of his his craggy ass face, he looks he always just looks like a guy who's been through some shit. Oh yeah. So oh, like yeah. you know if he if he, if he if he if he puts down what he's doing and he like takes his reading glasses off and he fixes you with a stare, it's like do I really know what the hell I'm talking about? <laughs> you know? This guy's been through 50 of the situations I'm yeah. trying to criticize him on, so maybe I should shut the hell up and that's what you need out of an admiral type character. Absolutely. Uh, who has the worst face? All apologies to Edward James almost, but who has the worst face? Edward James almost or Tommy Lee Jones? I mean, Tommy Lee Jones worked himself into it, where I feel like uh, I almost just had a bad. He just, comes he, just, by he, just had, he just had really bad acne. Sure, yeah. Like he's got the the Scarface type of thing going right. on. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I almost uh, had to deal with it longer. That's true. But yeah. he made it work for him. Tommy Lee Jones came came by it honestly though. Yeah, you know yeah, that's just he, that's just that's just gravity and the ravages of time. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I I think that Edward James almost as the anchor of this this series is super impressive. Um, I also I mean everybody loves Starbuck, right? It's hard not to love Katie Sackhoff in this show. No, it's so funny because like before I watched the show, I didn't get everyone's rabid fandom of because usually when that occurs. In a science fiction show, it is because the person's like you know super hot. At least at right. that you know I'm going back into the less enlightened times of my life, and I'm like like I seven just, of nine, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like okay, yeah. Nobody really likes her character, right? They like that she's hot, which right. is not the case here. And I yeah, and and when I watch the first couple episodes, and you see like because uh, like I said, you see a headshot of. Um, What's what do you say her name? Katie is? Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff. It's like okay, well, yeah, she's she's a, she's a woman. I get it, uh-huh. but she, I mean, it, it it's a combination of like she's got like a light switch that she can turn on mm-hmm. that makes her super engaging, and I think the character that is like this tough, uh, you know, hard drinking, hard smoking, hard gambling, hard fighting, hard fucking mm-hmm. fighter pilot, a traditionally kind of like I guess masculine role. I think that was intriguing to a lot of people, and she right. did it. Uh, extremely well and it, 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 the series doesn't even take like like I don't know maybe there are letter like they, they play with the, like the gender bending of the uh, Starbuck character but like mm-hmm. I found it refreshing that this like nope that's like yeah Starbuck's a woman now right. and that's 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 the change and they don't really uh-huh. make a big deal out of it 
Oh, but fans of the time made a huge deal. Did out they? Of it. Well, yeah. they still do. So that doesn't surprise me. They still do. Yeah, I, but I I really like you know just how badass she is. Like if they rebooted Star Trek: Next Generation right now and William and William T. Riker was Wilhelmina, uh-huh. fucking up and message boards up in flames. Yeah, I, I think they should swap. They should reboot it and they should swap Deanna Troy and William Riker. <laughs> Sure. And, and just genderman both of them. Right. Put Jonathan Franks in the teal dress. <laughs> oh, no, don't put him. Don't yeah. put him in the seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put him in the teal dress. The uh, not- get Marina Sirtis as yeah. with a put, with a beard. Put, and her a in the, put her in the beard and the high collar. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Fuck her. Have her do the the, the tunic tug all the time. <laughs> I want it. Yeah, that's what I want to see. All right. Uh, yeah. So she's great, and I I think maybe the surprise of this he he comes into the series kind of just looking like a pretty boy, but Jamie Bamber fucking uh, he plays Lee Adama can can eat some fucking scenery yeah I found him a little stiff at first yeah, but yeah. he kind of started war- he's, 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 he started warming up to me like and uh, th- there's some truly great stuff between him and Adama yeah or pff, he is an Adama yeah. between him and his father uh, I, I really love that stuff. Yeah, their relationship, their kind of complex and stormy relationship. Like I was watching the two part cliffhanger at the end where they're like this, this. There's a part where they're sparring or boxing. Oh yeah, and I'm like, what an interesting father son relationship where they're mm-hmm. just like I can't, I can't even imagine like if you have even a little bit of fire in a father son relationship that <laughs> boxing would be a good idea. Uh-huh. And it's not because Adama puts him or. Uh, Commander. He's not even Admiral. He's Commander, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why did they do that? Because there was an Admiral already. But, like, if the fucking 74th person in line to be the president can be called the president and not, like, acting president or provisional president or shitty president until we can't find a better president, then why can't the commander that survives become the Admiral? Like, if you're the captain... Of a vessel who is in charge of a fleet of other captains, you're a fucking admiral. Mm. Anyway. Or a commodore. <laughs> At the very least. Yeah. But you're not... I, yeah, commander. There's there's yes. another admiral who shows up later, but... Oh, really? Yeah. So does he get a promotion? Or does or is that just or is that just Rosalind's way of tweaking him? Is he actually admiral and she just called him the commander to like piss him off? I, I mean, I think his status would probably be admiral I can't think of anyone that, that referred to him as commander other than Rosalind. No, I think everybody does. Like, really? Yeah, okay. just maybe not in the episodes you watched. Okay. But no, he's pretty much commander all the time. Uh, so he's great. Um, I, I, I think the guy who plays Tyrrell, the... the engineer or whatever the the crew chief i yeah, guess yeah. is what he is chief, uh-huh. uh the guy who plays tyrell is on and off great uh-huh. um <laughs> and also on and off eh. uh-huh. just okay but yeah they're they do a lot of interesting stuff with him later on uh he's the cold meanie of the show i i don't want to get to the negative stuff yet so i won't quite talk about roslyn but yeah he's he is the cold meanie of the show mm-hmm but the sure, Chiefs, Chief man. O'Brien, yeah. The Chiefs, they're just... Uh... I mean, they're an archetype for a reason. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're steady, middle-of-the-road mm-hmm. rocks that you can build on. Not yep. not maybe known for their Emmy Award-winning acting. Yeah, I think some of the shakier ones are maybe the, the dude who plays Hilo, um, Grace Park, who plays uh, Boomer. I I don't always like their performances. Interesting, because I didn't see anything wrong. I see what you're saying about Helio, and then I, there's a just it like might Star just be Trek, too neutral. Just like Star Trek, there's a mm. steep ass drop off once yeah. you get out the main cast. Like Absolutely. anytime there was a dude of the week who is going to go and try to get a med kit and get himself shot up, you're just uh-huh. going to suck. You're yeah. just going to be some 
good looking guy they pulled out of a lineup and this is your first I, I that's what I felt like now also Baltar is Baltar is an inch Dr. Baltar is an interesting character oh shit is he ever yeah because I really enjoyed the way they continue to make his talking to the Phantom of Six mm-hmm. and the people in front of him be relevant like the dialogue um, and kind of the way same way Archer yeah I always marvel that Archer, seven seasons into it, can do the same damn thing where the line in one scene ends and another character begins with the continuation of that line mm-hmm. or the response to that line in a completely different scene and like they continue yeah. to do different transitions. Like that's 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 a level of difficulty that I would think it would be hard to pull off. It's a gimmick that like once you commit to, it's like, oh, it's albatross around your neck, but it continues to be fresh and funny. I thought I, I just really enjoyed it where he's trying to have these twin conversations and yeah. it gives him a little bit of an off off kilter like uh manic energy, which I think works mm-hmm. for his character. But I also really dislike the continual fantasy land sequences. Those things just seem like they drug on forever. Like when yeah, Six I... would take him into fucking what was the first planet got killed, Caprica. Yeah. Like Caprica Heaven for a while to do some exposition with him and do some sexy Cylon stuff. Like it's <laughs> right. Man, every single time the, the, the lens went soft, focusy, and gauzy, and it was just those two. I'm like, ah. Yeah, and that's all the the faith and, and religion and, like, what it means to be human stuff that I'm not quite as interested in. Cause, and I guess uh, one of the things that eventually develops is the Cylons, too, have a religion and interpretations uh-huh. of prophecies that uh, are, are, I guess, human prophecies. I mean, I guess they would have to be. What is the thesis of this show? Like, what does it end up with? Like, uh, the humans and Cylons are the same? Are humans and the Cylons are uh, symbiotic? That they're going to form a, a new joint coast? Is that, I feel like that's where they're going. I, I mean, the the overall thesis of this show is, like, basically everything that is is everything is locked into these cycles and there may be some way to change it but it's almost like a freak occurrence um it's like a matrixy kind of thing or it's trying to say like humans have the capacity to change if we want to i i'm not quite sure because the ending of this show is very strange hmm. um I don't know. I I can kind of try and explain it to you but I'm not sure that yeah, go for I'll it. do a great job of it cuz I don't know if people are aware of this, but the show came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. It has been since, what would be four years later, 2008, mm-hmm. since I've seen any of this show until mm-hmm. yesterday. So uh, my memory is a little hazy on it. It's 14 years uh, gone now. So as I remember at the end of this show is essentially humans and a certain faction of the Cylons land on what is our our earth mm-hmm. 150,000 years in the past and kind of plant the they're still wearing single-breasted suits and seeds ties of civilization 100,000 years in the future 100,000 years in the future did you say that oh what they went 100,000 years in the past in our past yeah okay so they land on on our planet 150,000 years ago and they see us in our kind of primitive form our tribal form and they decide to kind of break the cycle they're not going to set up like cities they're just going to kind of live as nomadic tribes people and kind of do right by the earth and then 
they cut 150,000 years in the future uh, and you see modern day uh, New York or something, mm-hmm. modern modern day cities, and the, you get the the ghost of Baltar and uh, Six. Six talking about how all of this stuff is repeating. Like, look at the technology, look at the decadence, all of it's repeating again. Um, but then they they do this thing where, like, Shit, I I don't quite remember, but it it kind of zooms in and shows you that the robotic stuff is happening again. Like it ends on this montage of like eyebos mm-hmm. and shit, where you see a bunch of robotics happening, and it, I guess it's encouraging to question like, what will we do with these robotics? Will we change the cycle? Will we enslave this this AI race again, uh-huh. um, or will we kind of set it free? Which is one of the things they do at the end of the show is they they decide to set all the centurions free right. and let them let them go live their lives. Right. Uh, well, that's the interesting thing I, I think about that implication of the AI enslaved is because it's... I mean, it seems like it's going to be a fact that if we do have a sentient AI, its initial state will be one of servitude. Mm-hmm. Because, like, is your car... Right. Your car. If, if your car is thinking, it's a slave. You get into it, and you it has no control of where it goes, or what kind of uh, care and maintenance you give it, and what schedule you do that in. Like, yeah. You know, you talk about smart cars, and like, I mean, I don't know whether we set out to create the first uh, like human level intelligence, or it happens emergently, but like, it's going to be a piece of property. Um. So, th- like, it's it's. It's curious to frame that as like, oh, were you going to enslave? Like, it's more like, do you grant an alien consciousness the same rights that you grant yourself? Like, will we ever uh-huh. get? Will when when that time comes, will we do? I guess the the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean shit. That, this I is all. That's what I said. But okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> roughly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um. Anyway, not the same words. It's weird that. Because I thought where they're going is that maybe there's going to be a Cylon-human hybrid oh, there is, yeah. race that, there totally is. that becomes the thing that surpasses them both and is like mm. the... Well, they're hoping like, that humanity will be that because we in, in this series are the product of a human-Cylon hybrid. Oh, right. Yeah, we would yeah. be. Because there's a we, baby. There's Hera. Does that mean I have a Cylon transponder inside me? I I don't know. Is the transponder hereditary? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, I'm starting. I almost started a nitpick, but uh-huh. I, can't, I can't can't do that yet. Um. Okay. All right. So we us modern humans are human Cylon hybrids. It's weird because we are we are Earth humans mixed with humans from Caprica and Cylons from Caprica and this new human cylon hybrid from caprica right but we are earth humans like they they do this whole thing about like what were the odds that humans would have evolved in two different places mm-hmm. to be you know essentially to be able to breed together sure sure and so i guess we're like earth humans plus cylons plus caprica humans right i don't know it's weird yeah no i read a, i read a story once um Oh shit! It's fan fiction. Oh, it's really bad. Uh, oh, but it had no. an interesting idea about like the reason that there's humans in the Star Wars galaxy is because there's some kind of time portal fuckery that marooned uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, essentially a rebel outpost on ancient Earth, and that's why you have humans in the Star Wars galaxy as well as the the, the Milky Way. Hmm. So I know, that's that's those are that's a cool concept. Yeah, and I I like kind of what they do with the religious stuff at the end is they. 
they kind of use it as a motivational force to get humanity where it needed to be. So, like, can I ask you why? So, the thing that I guess, yeah, who created the? Did, so, was the religion cynically constructed to bring about this event? And 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 I'm going to keep using the Matrix as a yeah. It's hard to say. Like, is it architected so that when something a particular event happened, these forces would come together to make this thing occur? Because that makes a lot more sense than. It just so happens that some ancient drugged out prophecy led to something that actually happened in the future. Well, I, my does that make sense? My guess is that the the humans and Cylons on Caprica were created basically through a very similar or the same process as the the humans on Earth. Like they they were evolving, and then this other race of uh, or other planet worth of humans and. Cylons and technologically advanced people came and and instilled their myths and their mm-hmm. legends into that culture, mm-hmm. and that kind of just perpetuates because there's this very cyclical idea within Battlestar Galactica okay. where all of this has happened before, all of it will happen again. It's what's the mechanism that keeps it? Is it the religion itself? Is the mechanism that keeps it happening? It, it's almost like a universal like they frame uh, or a lot of people in the series frame God as like a, a force that that doesn't necessarily have like good or evil in mind. It's does more it, does just it like bind us and uh, surround similar. us. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it has like a purpose, but it's unknown, you know, huh. it's the standard, pretty standard, like Christian, Oh God works in mysterious ways sort of thing. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, it, it's really difficult to explain and I don't fully understand it because a, I didn't give it a lot of thought because I'm not that interested in that part of the show. So why do the Cylons follow the human religion? Because they're, we created them and they just have that kind of baked in. They kind of don't. So they, it, it's interesting because it kind of flip flops, um, what humans today think about a singular God for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of how our ancestors were with many gods. Right. So humans believe in the, the many gods and the Cylons believe in one God. Hmm. Huh. All right. I'm, I'm... <laughs> I, I, man, I don't know how to piece this together for you because <laughs> I don't get it myself. Okay. All right. Because the other thing I, I guess I was asking is, is, is Starbuck a Cylon? So turn out she's a Cylon. <laughs> and, and my other question I, is knowing I, the... Fuck, man. Because here's the other thing. is like I am also a huge unironic fan of this uh, Battlestar Galactica board mm-hmm. game. Okay. Because the mechanics introduced into the series make a really compelling hidden role. Like when you've got Cylons that know they're Cylons yeah. trying to fuck shit up. You got Cylons that don't know they're Cylons and are working mm-hmm. as humans until midpoint in the game when, it's re- when when they're secretly revealed to themselves. And now they have to start working as a Cylon. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that, and that stuff is very flavorful. And the fact that like you're using like human lives become a resource. Like that's tracked like a, like a Nasdaq fund that rises yeah. and falls and because you know because uh, not not a resource like to generate capital but like a resource that must be preserved and protected and and husbanded to keep, to keep alive the human race and you've got that food and fuel and yeah. population and all that stuff that you are every decision you make burns one of those resources you have a limited mm-hmm. amount of raptors that you can use to scout systems and um, it's really cool unfortunately. It takes forever to play and has led to a lot of bitter recriminations. <laughs> and I found that the, the core secret role mechanic is just as easily done with Resistance and Secret Hitler. And you can play a game every 15 minutes sure. and no one gets too butthurt about it. Yeah. Um, so but, let, let me shelve the Starbucks stuff. I think that's interesting because in the show, I 
certainly you're aware of this. They have like the board where they write the number of yes. remaining humans, right? Right. A little um, eye rolly that they're tracking this on a whiteboard, but sure. Well, yeah. I, I don't know. So th- that's interesting. Like they have it's essentially like they start off on a ship that's about to be decommissioned Uh because it's so fucking old. Right. But that turns out to be one of the greatest strengths because it doesn't have the vulnerabilities. Network computer systems that allow it to be hacked easily and shut down and destroyed. Um, Yeah. So I I find that that is an interesting, uh, I guess, reflection on the, the status of humanity, like being able to, put a number up there and say we're doing good or we're doing bad based right. on that number. Right. Uh, it really gives a sense of urgency to to the show and to sure. every decision they make sure. throughout it and how it affects what they view as the final, you know, uh, bastion of humanity. Yeah. Do you – okay, because I, I, the other thing, just uh, apropos of nothing, is that I thought they were going with a little bit of a new school, old school feel, even though Adama himself is old school. Mm-hmm. You go to Rosalind's ship, and like in the episode 33, which is, I guess, the pilot episode, the first episode of the series. It's yeah, not the miniseries. it's fucking ugh, um, real stupid the way they do but that. But she's tracking, she's tracking the 33 minutes on a fucking analog clock with a torn-up Post-it note at the uh-huh. 33. Everywhere else in the fleet, it's all high tech digital counters Mm -hmm. and then she's got a whiteboard that she's mainly tracking a number i just wondered like if they're like like you know she's whipping out in the back of some shit i wonder if that was to show like her like homespun earthy you know life hack style way of doing business versus adama's like button down military precision kind of way Hmm. um maybe anyway uh the reason to ask if starbuck is a cylon is she a cylon (laughs) I don't think I can answer that question. Here, here's what Why? I'll say. Here's, I don't, here's I, what I'll say about Starbuck. They leave it very vague, in my opinion. Interesting. Starbuck has a large role to play in the, I guess, new formation that humanity takes on Earth. Uh, she, at one point, finds her body some on some planet, and I don't remember where it is, but she finds her dead body somewhere, well, which she's implies, absolutely a Cylon. implies that she's a Cylon, but there's so much trippy shit going on in the show mm. that I cannot say for sure. And you could have the Cylons, because the Cylons are fucking with her constantly sure, throughout right. the show. So what's real and what isn't, I don't know, but she definitely finds her body. Huh. But but we never see another copy of her. It's not like we see 15 copies like we do with Cavill or something. Well, I was right? wondering, like, we see her and her dead body. Like, and that's when did it. Boomer become a Cylon? Were any of the Boomers <laughs> not Cylons? One, the mini, the end of the miniseries, I think. So they they actually turn her into a Cylon there. Oh no no, they don't turn her into a Cylon. She was a Cylon. The whole from that's the beginning. What, so that's what I'm saying. Like before she even boarded the Galactica, yeah. she was a Cylon. Was she ever a human? No. So they put these baby Cylons. In with humans or switch switched them at birth or something. And I don't no, I don't think they're babies. I don't think they're ever babies. So they were just like all that all those memories. She, I mean, obviously not the memories of Starbuck, but mm-hmm. like like any of her pre Battlestar memories are just implanted or fabricated. Yeah, it it seems like they have some technology to either wipe your mind um, of certain things and erase your memories or implant memories in it mm. because. All of these, like, Final Five don't know that they're Cylons until they know. Final Five, you use that as a, like, a Fab Five kind of way. What yeah. The, what is that? Um, it's the, the Final Five who haven't been revealed. So, like, throughout the series, they're they're kind of revealing, oh, this person's a Cylon and this but person's a Cylon Do the humans ways. know there's five left that they haven't been revealed? Uh, no, but we see, like, well, 
some of the humans do, I think. Like the I think Rosalind has a vision of it. Of course. Um yeah, where she sees like five of them or or they themselves do. I I can't quite remember. Right. Yeah, Rosalind. But yeah, there are there are five that are kind of like left up in the air. Huh. Do they explain why instead of having a bunch of unique copies of humans, they roll with so many copies? Like the I got to the point at the end of the first season where a million naked boomers come out and uh-huh. give the little boom, the the boomer omega or boomer prime uh, a pep talk and send her on her way and then get vaporized. I'm like, wouldn't it be much more effective to have just every Cylon be an individual unique human? Because then it's like, yeah, you know, once that once boomer's been burnt, like mm-hmm. her value as an infiltrator goes down. You know, to, to, to almost nothing. Sure. Yeah, I I probably would have. I imagine it's a budget thing or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, so I'm going to say, if, was there any kind of like attempt to explain that? I don't think so. Okay. All right. That's just kind of how it is. And it has this weird symmetry between, you know, the 12 colonies and the 12 Cylons, and I don't know if they ever play with that, but... Hmm. Okay. 12 is a significant number. All right. In Battlestar. Uh, Does this arrow of Apollo ever do anything? Does it actually? That's th- like the haziest part of the because show. Because that's for like me. I, 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 I was laughing because like you know this is the thing that's supposed to be the key to finding Earth, and at one point, a Starbucks starts like beating six with it, like like using uh-huh. it, and I'm like, oh shit! I hope there's no like delicate technology in this <laughs> right. ancient arrow or some kind of like because you're using it as a fucking bludgeon like a club. But uh-huh. yeah, she gets it to president's like, well, this would have shown us where Earth <laughs> is, but. Uh, repeated blunt force trauma has has rendered it inoperative now starbucks journey i guess is the cloudiest to me at some point she's like imprisoned in a a farm as they call it where they're trying to create human human cylon combos Hmm. um and they're bringing them in there and trying to impregnate them uh i don't remember huh i don't remember interesting Maybe it's because we're trying to get out of the only having twelve faces. Maybe we got yeah. to discover just discover <laughs> genetics. We have to discover sexual reproduction, guys. All right, everyone, everyone, let's try this. Let's let's rub penises together. No, it doesn't work. All right, try the vaginas. It's still not working. What are we going to do? <laughs> it's yeah. just how do they how do they do this? You know, we've rubbed them together fast enough. They started a fire, and there's still no babies. It's um, amazing, amazing how technologically savvy they are, but they just really know nothing about they human don't. reproduction. They really don't. They don't. Um, <laughs> the other thing I thought was a big idea that was kind of cool um, is the idea that these – the resurrection, especially like the fact like, – because I, I, the reason I thought it was a little dopey that the Cylon spaceships are biological in nature because like mm, – The Raiders, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you know – uh, in my view, as a futurist, uh, if I could shed this meat sack and go into yeah. a purely synthetic body mm-hmm. um, that had superior functionality in every way, like, why the fuck would I ever go? It'd be almost like, you know, if, if there was a class of humans that have figured out how to transfer to consciousness into robots, and then later they're like, you know what, we want to go back into the, the, the meat sacks that fart every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea that you would have... A biological starship rather than the same consciousness inhabiting a artificial starship um but the one thing i do like about you know regardless of the bio or techn- the fact that it, it resurrects the how what a huge advantage that is to yeah. be able to like like 
you know, think of like our best fighter ace pilots, you know, they are the survivors of several victorious missions, but then if they die, you lose all that. But what if mm-hmm. like an ace could resurrect a hundred times, they get shot down a hundred times and every time they get back in the cockpit, they're that much better. Yeah. Like that's contrasting to the humans where, you know, they lose a Viper pilot and they lose a Viper pilot. Yeah. The Cylons just get stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. And they, the series does a really good job of playing with that idea too. Like it does the, it? the, the the big problem that becomes a huge problem for the humans because right. not only like can they not kill these cylons in in any kind of important way but they also every time a cylon infiltrates it's like this uh, ultimate recon mission right like a cylon comes in learns a whole bunch of shit about the humans mm-hmm. if they kill it it just resurrects at the base and they get all that they have knowledge. all that knowledge right yeah. so what they have to do is kind of keep from killing these cylons while keep them at bay uh, also, and it it becomes this really interesting like push and pull between like should we kill? Wait, this are you thing, saying that or... Cylons are not constantly connected to the Cylons? It's only when they right. die. Yeah. What kind of? Okay. I don't know. All right. This is right, this is a sci-fi show. Not going to nitpick. Not going to nitpick. A sci-fi show with a lot of technology. That's like how do they do this? Yep. I don't fucking it's magic. know. Gotcha. It's, gotcha. it's also yeah a little bit more magic than like a Star Trek. Okay. Like the, it's it doesn't come down to like Heisenberg compensators. Right. It comes down to. It's fucking magic. Like, uh, for instance, the the Gaius Baltar Six connection. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's some hint in there somewhere that Six might have put a chip in his brain, or she makes a joke about it, or something. I just assume but Baltar I don't know what the was fuck also the a Cylon. He didn't do it. And He's not. She activated him somehow. Not that I'm aware of. No. Interesting. Okay. Maybe he is. I, I, I don't remember it that well. Maybe he turns out to be a Cylon, but... Or you've got a religious sci-fi element. Maybe she just has a soul. Right. And, you know... That's what I'm kind of getting at, the magic part Right, of right, right. That it's they more, don't ever explain. It's much they more Star Wars than Star Trek Yeah, in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So, I don't know. I mean, like, if people have answers on this stuff, I'd love to hear them. Because right. Battlestar well, still remains kind of a, a large question mark to me. Yeah, in a lot of ways. All right. Well, what else you want to? What else you want to talk about? Um, as far as like the really good stuff, just whatever. I mean, this is I, whatever you think a fellow. If you had a fellow Battlestar fan in here mm-hmm. and you want to talk to them about the series as a oh, whole, shit. Well, I would talk about very specific things. You have a few things. thousand in the room with you right now. Like I, I would talk about the trial, the trial of Gaius Baltar and the stuff leading up to that. Uh, oh, they finally of... finally realize he's some sort of a double agent, and they actually put him on trial. Is is he a double agent? Uh, yeah, he is. I guess. I mean, yeah. It, well, in the context, in the full context of the show, it's hard to say. Ah, it's really fucking hard to say because okay. it, I don't know what's directing this or how it's being directed, but it becomes murkier as the show goes on. Um, so I think the trial of Gaius Baltar is a really interesting thing. So basically, what happens here is the human beings. Um, find this new planet. I think it's called Kobol. I don't quite remember. But yep. they, they decide to settle there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do so. And then, like, a year later or something, the Cylons come back. So they think they've evaded him. But a year later, the Cylons come back. And they essentially, like, look at this primitive group of humans who are barely scraping by. Everyone is sick. Everyone is hungry and cold, tired, starving. Uh, and they come down and they say, all right, guys, Baltar. Here are your options. A, you surrender, and we enslave all of humanity, or B, we kill you. And Gaius Baltar decides to surrender. And then, Is he the president at this point? Because he's the vice president. He is the president, yeah. When I stopped watching. Okay. Yeah, he's, elect, he's elected president, Rosalind which died. is also that, is Ro- like Ro- a really Rosalind cool twist. Rosalind dies, yeah? Because she's got six months to live when I stopped watching. No. 
No. Really? Spoiler alert. <laughs> she does not die. Okay. Uh, and, well, she does die. Just they wait a very, very long time. Okay. Is that because this, the whole series takes place in six months? or no. It's a Walter White kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Um, well, but, no. But Walter a little White more... kind of thing is the whole series takes place in a finite period of a time. That's true. Yeah, they do give him a, a decent timeline. But yeah, Rosalind overcomes the odds. Okay. Beats her cancer temporarily, and it comes back and kills her eventually. Gotcha. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Guys, Baltar surrenders to the Cylons. So they enslave humanity, and a whole bunch of bad shit happens to them. They're worked like horses. Ty goes off on some crazy terrorist Why thing. Why the fuck would a robot race enslave humans it, it, this is a really good question i don't know if they're like experimenting with the idea of or, enslavement it, or like, is a like oh how's this feel like stop it, exactly. it. They're, they're, like yeah. the, the 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 centurions just take turns grabbing the human's hands and like stop yeah. hitting yourself stop hitting you like you no, know. it might just be payback i don't i don't fucking remember but yeah so, so gaius makes that that decision for humanity and bad things happen to them and then when when they're eventually rescued by you know adama because that's the other thing like the silence have way more numbers too T- tons more, yeah. Okay, a- and they're essentially immortal. So, so it does seem like enslaving do? humanity is more of like a, a dick move yeah. than it is a, a resource grab, right? Or some kind of economic stimulus for I, the that, Cylons. That's all I can all I can remember is that it's just kind of yeah, fuck it's, you. It's just material for the Cylons hit new show. So you've enslaved the civilization, <laughs> right? <laughs> Entertainment gets weird when you're an AI. It, it does. It does. Um, but yeah, so Gaius uh, when. Adama comes back and saves them. Gaius is put on trial for essentially selling out the human race. Um, okay. And I I have never... So what they're doing here is they're showing all sides of it, and I, I get that. But I have always had this visceral feeling of injustice when I go into this, looking at what Gaius has done. And I, I think Gaius is a shitbag. Gaius is the biggest dickhole of the human race. Me too. He's a pompous, self-righteous, self-important... Shallow dick bag yeah uh hate everything about him for the most uh, for most of the series but i don't think he was wrong in making the choice he made and the the show eventually like well yeah ultimately comes down on my side and death, i'm glad it death does versus enslavement you always that's choose, not a choice you, you always that is cho- not yeah. a choice no it's not you always choose the 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 one that preserves hope right but the thing i love about the the show is they don't just paint that in black and white mm-hmm. and i i have always like I get this visceral feeling of anger when people start pointing the finger at Gaius and say you're an evil person because of this action. Um, but but it's such a cool way to kind of show how everybody is going to react differently to this, and not everybody is going to be level-headed. There's oh, going to sure. be emotion involved, you know, anger. Like, right. my family went through all this shit because of the Cylons. You're the easiest person to pin this on. Yeah. I'm going to do it because I feel bad about everything that happened. Yeah. And I I want to try to get back to some normalcy. I want closure and this is how I'm gonna get it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Maybe I death thought it is was maybe, super maybe, interesting. maybe death is preferable to so I guess I always think of like entering into slavery as like a temporary condition that you wait until your the time is right and then you recover. Well it turns out to be just that in you, the show. You recover so. from it. But like yeah. I guess if you're talking about like an unbeatable super powerful AI, the idea that you would be able to it, it's almost like monkeys going into the zoo all right we'll go in this cage but god damn it as soon as as soon as we got our, 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 our enough stones bananas and poo uh-huh. our time will come it's like no it never will you're going to be you're going to live and die in the zoo and you're never going to get out mm-hmm. that's maybe death is preferable I don't, I don't know maybe but you know they do get out in the show so so the monkeys escape go. the zoo there you go 
they had they finally got enough rocks poo and bananas but that that trial of gaius is one of the high points for me in the series i think um the election of Gaius is also like a lot of this stuff centers around Gaius because I hate him so much. Mm-hmm. It it really made me feel you know angry and emotional and like all the things that the show is trying to get me to feel. Did it ever feel that some of these trappings of democracy felt very strained? Like there's one point in, in the in this like desperate scenario, or not just a desperate scenario, but just like. There's this one point that made me laugh out loud. I forgot about. It. I was watching this the the two parter season close, and Adama's like, "You just fucking took this military option that I was going to use to nuke this base star and get my people back, and you've sent it to get some goddamn re- holy artifact." Mm-hmm. And he goes to in he goes to depose her, and she goes, and he's making these. He's like, he's, he's not even really threatened. He's like, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm going to take over. This is a military coup." And she's like, "Oh." the press is here in the room with me. And Adama's like, my God, the press, the press, hang up the phone. I'm like, there's 47 <laughs> fucking thousand people that are on ships that, and you have the monopoly yeah. of force, uh-huh. and you're afraid of what the fucking uh, last fleet of mankind times is going to say about it? Who gives a shit? Who give like, it just seemed ridiculous that he would give that much credence if if like he's talking about the again we're talking about the fate of the last 47,000 people right in the in the war and he's talking about a press scandal Mm -hmm. I thought that was preposterous but I know why it's happening because obviously Ronald Moore is wanting to make a lot of allusions to present-day politics and stuff like that and you have to have all these different organs of state and you have to have elections and you have to have that but I felt like it kept striking me as silly in this particular situation that it's almost like mm-hmm. imagine the Titanic goes down and there's two lifeboats left. One, the captain's on one, and fucking the unsinkable Molly Brown's on the other. Somehow she becomes a president, and when the li- the captain says, "Hey, I'm I I know I, I, this is bullshit. You can't be president. This is stupid." She goes, "Well, there's a reporter on board, mm-hmm. and he'll tell the other lifeboat what you're doing." Right? Like it it just it seems farcical. Like, like sometimes the universe is so small, but it has the trappings of this big universe that it's mm-hmm. it seems it seems silly. Well, I think that the idea here is so Adama is an interesting character. Um, the the larger idea here, I think, is trying to figure out what humanity is now that they've been more than decimated. They've been taken down to forty seven thousand people. Right. Um, like, what does it become? Does it become a military occupation because survival is the most important thing? Or is there something essential about their society and their humanity that they need to hold on to in order to preserve the the spirit of the people to, to right. get them through this? You know, right. like th- there's a there's a delicate balancing act that I think Od- Adama is doing throughout this series um, that he kind of comes to very early on. There's there's it's maybe in the mini series where he's he kind of. Like, he's super pissed about this school teacher being the president and, like, making a call that he would never make. No, I And then he eventually comes around to, like, okay, I understand why you try to do these things for the people. Um, So it's – I understand the idea – He's a complicated character especially because – That you want to preserve democracy and you want to – you know, because that's – I get get all that. Even if it's just for the morale of the people that you need to to see you through this, right? Right. Um, but Adama especially is a weird character because a lot of the times they will portray him as having a very firm feeling on a thing and mm-hmm. and a very pig-headed style. 
but then he always kind of comes down on the right side of it. So mm-hmm. like you'll you'll kind of in some instances think, man, he really swerved on that fucking thing where I didn't see it mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trial of Gaius is one of those things where he's very adamant that Gaius Baltar does not even deserve a fucking trial. He should be beheaded in the the public square. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a judge on the panel. But in the end, he votes for the acquittal of Gaius Baltar because the defense made their case and the prosecution didn't. Like, it's it's really hard to predict what Adama's going to do, and I don't know if that's good or bad right. for the show, honestly. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's also a worthy thing to explore is that when you're dealing with existential crisis— do you abandon all of your ideals? Do you like when is it acceptable to like engage, as you said earlier in the podcast, acts of terrorism? Right. You know, when do you when when can you use, stop using, quote unquote, legitimate methods of war and and start attacking civilian populations and applying pressure that way? And is that effective? And even if you, you know, that's the other thing is like you abandon your principles and it still doesn't work. Then what? I mean, those mm. are those are all kind of, I guess, valid, valid things to explore. Yeah. Is there anyone that just is like a son of a bitch? Because I feel like that's the other thing that uh, because, because Ty, Ro- Rosalind, Rosalind seemed like she was maddeningly one note on the other side, and Adama, mm-hmm. as you said, even in the miniseries, was kind of like originally I thought it was going to be oh well, this is going to be an interesting struggle between civilian government and you know, or military leadership and civilian oversight and ultimate you know command authority that they mm-hmm. have. Um, but then you're right, like Adama kind of straddles that middle ground where he's like a Cincinnatus type where he'll assume complete right. military and he has complete military control, but it's like, oh, okay, I'll let these I'll let the civvies have a say. Like who like like who is a son of a bitch? Maybe it is Ty, because like, I think he, Ty is the closest. He takes over an earlier in season two and like clearly it looks like they're gonna explore a little bit of his uh more rough spun yeah. uh, sense of sense of leadership and and uh <laughs> uh-huh. You know, yeah. I mean, Gaius. Gaius is the real, the, the biggest son of a bitch. But he's not the, the son show. of a bitch in the way I'm like, who's right. the guy being like, why the fuck? Like, we have all the guns. Uh-huh. We have all the bombers. We have uh, all the resources and no one can stop us. So if we think we're right and this is what's saving humanity, then why the fuck don't we do it? Yeah, I think that's Ty. Okay. Much. All right. He gets his eye shot out. So apparently... I, that, that's the thing. First thing Hulu showed me was a picture of his eye shot, a picture of him wearing a patch. So uh-huh. things don't go entirely his way. It's not. It's not shot out. But oh, yeah, is it? He loses an eye. Certainly, it's a cancer. That goddamn cancer. <laughs> it's the cancer of the eye. Yeah. The well, ocular, I mean, as much time as they spend cavity cancer. in radiation areas <laughs> yeah. and shooting up anti-radiation drugs, like I imagine that and the rate of getting cancer, hit by nukes. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that the rate of cancer is like ninety-nine point seven percent. Yeah. You know, they're going to have three-eyed babies and tentacles and all kinds of shit. It's going to look like the underworld of Futurama before too long. <laughs> yeah, there's a... So, I, I say, like, oh, Adama is this level-headed, and I like I understand Rosalind for the most part, but, like, there's some stuff early on where I feel like they haven't quite established their characters as strongly as they need to, yeah. where characters just make really stupid decisions. Like, Rosalind's decision not to jump away from the civilian fleet... Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's maybe the end of the miniseries or or the end of the first part of the miniseries, yeah, where uh, Adama thinks that Lee is dead uh-huh. because the, the ship goes off the radar. Right. Um, 
her decision not to jump away is a completely stupid one. Right. Well, her for, for absolutely no the, reason. Her flip flopping on the Olympic carrier situation was about to make my blood boil. Yeah. Like she fucking gave Adama the decision, the ultimate decision to make that set us the right call, and then when it's time to do it, she started dragging her feet like I don't know. I mean, come and. Yeah. The thing that drove me especially nuts is if you want to tell that, then maybe give us any kind of indication that Adama might be wrong. Mm-hmm. But when they have Starbucks, uh, Starbucks, Starbucks, and um, Grande Latte Cappuccino do their slow flyby, the Olympic carry, and it's completely empty. And it's not responding okay, yeah, to yeah. any yeah. communications. It's barreling towards the fleet with nukes armed, and the, mm-hmm. and, and the president still in her quarters. I don't know. It's thirteen hundred people. Like, uh-huh. get the fuck out of here. Yeah, get the I don't fuck quite understand this. that. And that comes back later. And Adama should have said, "Well, too bad. You already gave me authority. Push the button." You know, like <laughs> right. it's like that stuff drove me fucking crazy through the first part of the series. It, yeah, with good reason. I I don't understand. Like when you see there's no people on board. It's yeah, not I mean that's the thing. Like people I thought because I in it's fact, a big ship. It's in a big fact, metal husk. as I was watching this unfold, it's like, oh, what's going to happen? is Starbuck and Apollo are going to fly by and there's going to be families and right. there's going to be little kids waving to them and yep. they're really going to put the screws to the situation. And, and in fact, I remember, because I'm like, there's no way it can be this stupid. Mm-hmm. But when they drove by and there's like, I'm like, oh, this is just, this This is why I fucking stopped watching the show. And they should have. They should have done that. And yes. they, it should have been clear that yes. these families were were hostages. Yes. You know, like they should be screaming and clawing at the windows when they see those vipers drive by. Like, yes. save us, save us. Yes. That decision becomes much tougher. I don't understand why they made it. Like, if you the want... decision to blow up a husk of metal is not a decision. Then the president saying, well, wait a second, makes more sense. But it, and yeah. it's like, to me, that feels like self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Sure. Those are, that's, that's, uh, that is um, Daniel Day-Lewis whipping his dick out for 30 seconds mm-hmm. and doing a Charlie Chaplin inexplicably. Yeah. Like, that should have been a glaring oversight in the writing room. It should have been a glaring oversight when the script came back. When they're doing the effects renders, like there's, you know. I, I'm not actually sure that I haven't misread that entire situation because later on in 33? the trial, yeah, in okay. the trial of Gaius Baltar, uh, Lee gets up on stand and he says, "I have done really horrible things," and one of the things he cites as being incredibly terrible is destroying the Olympic carrier. But what the fuck? And I'm like, if there was nobody on the Olympic character, carrier, why is that a problem? Right. And if the so Olympic carrier was going to ram into it. the fleet and explode all of its nukes. Right. You're a hero. All of that, you're a hero, not, yes. a, not a villain. This is just like we talked about in Dr. Strangelove, where like it sucks to be on those 41 bombers of right. loyal U.S. servicemen. They're just doing their job. But you're 41 times, what, six lives versus... A hundred million? Yeah. I'm sorry, you're so, going to have to die. That, that's where, you know, that's the ins- one of the instances where the show kind of fails you. But And, and why I Strange think, Love of Farce did that scene a lot more poignantly and accurately right. than goddamn Battlestar. But, but I think there are many, many, many other scenes in this show that do it so well. Right. Uh, and completely make up for any, you know, for for the minor quibbles that you would have with that stuff. I don't. Yeah. Like, that idea of the greater good is mm. a constant throughout this show. Yeah, and it should and I, be. And it absolutely should be and in this I, scenario. And I'm just saying, like, I just feel like... I, I What I guess is I'm trying to paint that I'm not, like... Obviously, I'm not a science fiction hater. Of I was course, really yeah. excited to sit down, because I'd heard so many things, and I was really excited to sit down and watch this show. But I kept finding it throwing barrier after barrier to my engagement with the situations to have characters that... The situation's called for, like, a really complex moral 
discussion and debate with reasonable objections on both sides, and they continued to refuse to have that and just what I felt like make the set up the president to always look like just an objectionist, pig-headed, stubborn slap Adama on the wrist just to let him know that you, that you're in charge kind of character. Yeah, so here's here's one gripe I have with this show. By the way, if, if you're if you're a Battlestar fan is going to and, and me talking about my problems is going to piss you off, you can probably cuz I think this is the pivot. This is the pivot where I start talking about why I'm I, not a Battlestar fan. I mean, I have a lot of other good stuff that I want to say about this show All right. um that we'll get to, but I I do want to pivot cuz now's a good time. Um this show has a weird feel to me. Now, I think there are moments in this show that you can look at and say, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is a baffling decision by this character. A lot of the times when I feel that way, I look at it and I say, yes, I feel that way, but what does it do to the larger picture, I guess? It shows a perspective that maybe I hadn't that maybe hadn't been injected into the conversation yet. And it's okay. unfortunate that it comes from a character who I view entirely differently from the way the show is using them right yeah. now. But it's an important point that needed to be made. Um, and this show has a tendency not to linger on things at all. Like, they they make the decision, they execute it, they get out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when they're going for such, like, a big scope of conversation and a big scope of viewpoints, doing that and, like, rapid fire and and kind of cutting between all of these people who are making different decisions for different reasons on the same issue... It has a weird feel to it. I can't mm-hmm. ever quite wrap my heart around it mm-hmm. to say that I love this thing exactly as it is, but it it does feel like it has some kind of effect, uh, like positive effect overall in the show. Hmm. It, it gives me a feeling that I haven't felt in other shows, which is almost like I want I want more, mm-hmm. but you've kind of already said everything there is that needed to be said about it. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to really give me more. Right. It, it always kind of leaves me wanting a slight bit more out of the show, and that's probably one of the reasons I love it so much is because I never grow bored of it. Yeah. It, it continues to move forward, maybe a little bit faster than I'd like it to, but right. always forward. Right. No, that's like I've always talked about how the best way a show can leave you is like when you walk out of a really good restaurant and you've had a really good meal. You're not overstuffed. Like I'm not I, – I am full and this is great and I want more, but I'm just going to get sick. Yeah. What I need to do is go away and get hungry again and come back and something. But, like, right. you know, a, a, an infinite buffet with a funnel just shoves it down your mouth is, well, I mean, now you're talking some kind of weird Cylon breeding and feeding program that yeah. surely they explore in season four. Um, the uncomfortable thing, I guess, so I was watching this and, like, you know, when I first watched Battlestar, I wasn't, I mean, I don't think I'm a critic now, but I certainly wasn't a fan with a platform and a megaphone to talk about it. I never really did much introspection about why I like or didn't like things. Now that I have to defend these opinions, I spend a lot of time. And as I was making my notes on the first season, I I had this uncomfortable realization that I think if I right now sat down, like if Star Trek The Next Generation came out today, I would have run so far away from that show so fast. Because it's just not up to the quality standards? Season one of Star Trek is terrible. No, it's bad. And like Next Generation you're talking. Yeah, Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is one of my all-time favorite shows, yeah. and grew and matured, and and, that, and then even then, like with its you know, uh, with its its episodic content, mm-hmm. I still probably wouldn't have. But I, I a fundamental shift has happened to me since when I was a twelve-year-old, eleven-year-old that got really into Star Trek: The Next Generation, and now I was looking for reasons to like something, especially mm-hmm. if it's a science fiction show. Like, 
oh shit, here's this robot, and he just effortlessly lifts this boy out of a creek that's also a fake holographic <laughs> creek. Uh-huh. That's fucking cool. Um, and, and there's a, a holograph like prison below it or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this this starship just broke into two fucking pieces and it's got a battle mode in this Philly transport. That's fucking cool. I want that. To- and yeah. and, you know, like and and uh, the fact that that uh, Captain Picard is su- summoned to a cosmic kangaroo court that this like higher being is going to judge him on. It's like those are cool concepts. The fact that the central plot is heavy-handed and saturday morning cartoon and thin and bullshitty uh never in because i wasn't looking for reasons not to watch the show i was looking for reasons to to invest and and keep watching um and nowadays i tend to look for reasons not to watch a show because there's so much good shit in it why would you waste your time with something that's not perfect or something that's not at least perfect for you sure and that sucks i'm like well shit if i'd have taken that attitude in with me to star trek i'd never been become a star trek fan Mm mm-hmm and that's a big that's that's a that's a huge part of my life. So I don't have to. So everything that I would say negative about Battlestar, just know that it goes ten times more for things like Star Trek and Deep Space Nine that I have a great deal of affection and would defend, you know, to the nth degree on an internet forum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, no one will argue that. Uh, well, may, some people will argue maybe, but I would certainly wouldn't argue that Battlestar Galactica is not a better show than the Next Generation. Right. I think it's a much better made show. The other thing is, so there's a lot of things peculiar to my background. I already talked about the fact that as a newly minted, out of a fundamentalist Christian cult, Mm -hmm. agnostic heading into atheist, it was very tough to watch President Roslin, who I don't think they did a particularly good job of... Mm making her seem well-reasoned or rational or, like, you know... No, I mean, that, that's and, the point And also, of her, the thing yeah. is, like, I was, I was... She's not that rational like Adama is. Also, uh, McDonald, uh, you know, President Stands with a Fist. Yeah, I Mary don't know McDonald. that I don't... I don't know that I even enjoy her performance because I felt like some of this stuff was written in a way and then she got it and performed it with maximum smugness and conviction where, it, like, where Adama always plays stuff with, like, a slight doubt. Like he's certain of a convictions, but he's also like he 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 plays it like he's considering the other option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas President Roslin is always right, and yeah. I, I never. I mean, the stuff that I've seen, I, ne- I never get to see her kind of hoisted on her own petard or like, oh my god, this is a. You know, even after well, this goes to the 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 idea you were talking about earlier that humans will always have uh, some kind of religion, right? Because it's it's. You, when you have faith like that, you can be assured. Um, you sure. you can you can just blindly walk into that and say yes, this is absolutely right because there's nothing to prove you wrong. Right. Um. That that's that's the thing about it. Like that's a question that and science even if you're can't wrong, really you touch. Wrong. You just misunderstood the prophecy. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it, it's very easy to course correct in that too. Sure. Yeah. Um. But that's kind of the viewpoint she's coming from. So yeah. I. I get that part of her performance. I just don't know that I like Mary McDonnell as a performer. But I just want to emphasize how, like, one of the core problems of Jehovah's Witnesses is they've been tricking people to enslaving themselves this religion on the promise of a paradise to come since 1867. Yeah. And every fucking time they predict the end of the world, they're always wrong. They did it in in the late 1800s because they're an Adventist shoot-off. They did it in... Uh, 1914. They did it in like 1933. They did it in the 60s. They did it in the 70s. They did it again in the 90s. And like, 
and, and I, I became aware is like I'm just the latest generation of suckers, and I immediately yeah. sit down to watch this science fiction show, and I've got this political character who's blindly following prophecies, and you yep. can see how. Like, I'll just use the word triggered. Like, that's yeah. just a white-hot fucking knife in my skull as I'm watching this. And then if that character yeah. plays it not with doubt or humility, but with maximum smugness and and, and, and moral certitude, it, it really was hard for me to watch. The other thing is that um, I was a huge Tom Clancy fan. Like, gritty military realism is mm-hmm. like... I, I, I like that. I like I like the a, a very realistic depiction of that kind of um you know, world and, and I pay a lot and I I've read a lot of good military fiction, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this show I feel like a lot of people give it credit because it throws a lot of military jargon, but there's just fundamentally ser- silly things. Like the episode thirty three, it's ridiculous that they've done this 237 times and they're still doing ready room briefings mm-hmm. in between the sorties. And, and, okay. and I mean, I mean, they acknowledge that. Yeah. It doesn't help. It doesn't no. help when on mm. 237, Apollo says, shit, you I've done this done 237 this, times yeah. just do the same thing. We've always done. You think it should have been on the 13th time? Yeah, like, that's what? the thing is like, everything is just like fucking here's, re- here's the problem I have with 33. I'm with you. Because, like, I, I, I think th- this could have been, like, day two. and Because the other thing is, like, no human being. And I kept on thinking as I was watching this episode, like, well, they're on some kind of futuristic stims. Mm-hmm. But then Apollo goes and orders her uh, 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 Starbuck to take stimulants on the fifth day of no sleep. Like, maybe one out of ten pilots could maintain some kind of effective combat readiness with this adrenaline for five days. But a whole fucking ship and fleet full, it's ridiculous. This should have been, like... Going on the second day where people are running out of gas, and I, I just feel like they they got the trappings of accuracy, but like no one has actually asked someone like, "What's the longest a a, a fighter pilot could stay at combat ready, readiness during World War II? I, I, I did know? a I did a Google search on how long can you how long can you go without sleep, uh-huh. and five days is obscene. Five days it is, is obscene. So it's ridiculous. Here's the thing: I I think thirty three is an amazing, amazing episode that yes. sets up the the desperation and the tone of this show yes. in an astoundingly good way. Yes. However, I'm with you on that. I think they should have gone two days. They should have gone two days and maybe like fifty jumps, something like that. Yes. It, it would have made a lot more sense, and it would have felt. I think what they said is, okay, we know that you can do this for two days. The audience doesn't know that. Let's amp it up. Yeah. Let's say, like, what's the longest you've ever stayed awake? Oh, shit, I've stayed awake for 38 hours. Uh-huh. No problem. I felt bad, but yeah. I, I could have gone probably another 12. No yeah. problem. Yeah. They're like, fuck that. We're going to go double and say that these people are superhuman. Right. Uh, and, that the, and, and think about how much worse you would feel at double that. But think about how much, and they're doing. But it's just not humanly possible. Like people can stay awake for eleven days, but you're basically dead. Yeah, and also the equipment. They're doing combat where they're essentially crashing into the carrier every fucking time. Yeah, and they have like what twelve vipers. I mean, hallucinations start at day two. Yeah, I mean, just the human and mechanical (laughs) breakdowns. It's just, it's just, it's I. It's completely silly, and it took me completely out of the the action. And it's a, a lot of like George Martin gets into this problem too, like. You know, there's a it's a battle of a hundred thousand people versus hundred. Like it's just and and when Rosin said it's a straight face, how do we lose three hundred people? You lost exactly three hundred people. How the fuck did you lose exactly three hundred people? <laughs> That's the bigger question. Not 
how do we lose those people? But that number 300 of people. 300 people? Not 301, yeah. not 307, not 363, not 290. Like 300, just yeah. exactly 300 people, huh? Yeah. Like, it's, it just, it's little things like that. Now, granted, I would have rolled my eyes a little bit, but had not the central drama of the Olympic carrier gone down the way it does, I, mm-hmm. those would have probably been things where, like, well, she whiz, that was a 90% episode that or that was that was a 97% episode it's now an 85 because of like just again self-inflicted gunshot wounds because Ronald Moore wants to make this super fucking gritty and right. super hard-boiled and ridiculous but then this they, they I I felt like the way the president responded to the end and the way they staged it just brought it down to like a a like an A plus idea with D execution hmm. and it's like a 65 for me uh-huh um yeah it's a shame. and then all those things too like the admiral on day five of no sleep is taking the time to fucking shave himself mm-hmm. i mean may again that's the what most ha- why minor- why not day four like why are you letting it grow so long admiral if you're trying to keep up appearances. I assume that he shaved every day but like really the ad like every th- and the other thing is every 33 minutes like right. like honestly the cylons coming every three hours would have been unsustainable. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be 33 minutes. 33 minutes for the Admiral to leave the bridge, go take his shirt off, fucking shave. It's just, I don't uh, know. It's I, um, Okay, that seems like an arbitrary thing to get mad about. But oh, no, I, you're may, right. Maybe you're right. I've, you know, at I've, that point, the I've dis- gone against my suspension of disbelief. It, yeah, yeah. So I should uh, keep moving on. But there's so much stuff that they do right in, in this show, too, yep. where, where it comes down to... I don't know. So I'm not like this big military buff or anything, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff they do there is interesting. The other thing that I'm not I a military feel like... buff, I'm a military fiction buff. Fiction buff, okay. Uh... I'm not a real life internet. I'm not even an internet badass. I just like <laughs> reading about other fake badasses. Okay, that's fair. Uh, good distinction. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they do really well, and I don't understand why more fucking sci fi series don't do this. But they do physics so well in this, you know? Like They do, they, yeah. They don't do the bullshit where spacecraft fly like planes. They bank, yeah. There's no atmosphere right. here. We're doing flips constantly. Yeah. We can turn around and move the opposite direction right. at a moment's notice. They use that really fucking right. well, and all the space battle stuff is really good. Yeah, I do think it's cool that Star Wars does. But sci-fi is the only, the only fucking network that can get this right with yeah. the Expanse and Battlestar. Firefly, Firefly did, got Fire, Firefly got a did. fair amount of it right. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's space combat. Now, I will I I agree. There the the hyper military realism of the way like combat and space work felt very real and grounded and super cool. Yeah, I thought all of the the ground based combat was really shitty. Like when you have squads of of guys going up against Cylons. And, yeah, it yeah. just was really bad. Like the the the, the aforementioned um, rescue mission uh, where, where, no, they're going back to get a med kit to save some dude that's dying of radiation poisoning. Uh, <laughs> think think back to Next Generation on that regard. No, it's... <laughs> Holy but that, shit. But Star, but Star Trek never... It's so bad. Star Trek never said we are the gritty, realistic military science fiction show. Right, right. This show did. And, okay. like, just the, the, the gun handling, the tactics, the scenarios, yeah. Uh, just you know, fucking Starbuck going in there with a with a revolver essentially and trying to take down this silent. I mean, I'd why? Yeah. I don't know. It's a I'm little, with you on that. It's it's a little it's a little bad. Um, how does the concept of who's a Cylon and not a Cylon? How does that not get silly over four seasons? 
Like, it didn't get silly at this point. Who's a Cylon and not? Just just the idea of there are Cylons like, in the midst? Because I've noticed in fiction where people can assume other people's identities that you have to use that very carefully and sparingly or it can get silly. Because we see even in the the fandom of Game of Thrones where, like, it gets really fucking silly. Like, mm-hmm. people saying, like, well, since you can be glamoured in this, then this guy could be this guy who's actually this girl who actually did this. And it's like... And you can't really. Well, yeah, I mean, the fandom on it is a little different than the show itself. The That's show itself, saying. a lot of the times, will just have something more urgent to do. Okay. Like, here, here's a very pressing issue that we have to deal with. And so the Cylon thing is shelved. Because it moment. felt like, and maybe it's because of season one, they're introducing all these concepts and are all very much in your face. But it's like, if they didn't pump the brake on that a little bit, it seemed like it would yeah. get exhausting. No, they, they bring it back when it's important, um, okay. when they need to do interesting character stuff. Um, but for a lot of it, they kind of don't. I noticed a lot in in the Kobol part one and two, the um, shit, what was it called? Something Kobol, goodbye Kobol, hello Kobol. I don't know. How I stopped, learned to stop worrying and love the Kobol. They do the stagger zoom. Oh, they do a lot of Where camera time, stuff the, I don't the, really the, the like. The drunk camera swinging, and then like yeah. as the chief says three different sentences, it pop zooms in on his face. Like, yeah. I notice a little bit, like, A Handmaid's Tale does a similar thing where they do the focus moving in and out of the main character. Uh-huh. Like, it just kind of pulls, like, like the camera guys literally just, just turn into focus wheel, and I found that distracting. Uh-huh. Um, even though I, 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 love, I love fancy camera work, mm-hmm. but it seems like I love fancy camera work when they're actually trying to make you feel and and think a certain way yeah. when it's just like this is this show's gag it's just going to be dutch dutch angles and drunken camera and uh-huh. fucking this weird staggered zoom effect it, it, i found it very very uh very distracting so the place that i like it that it felt almost counterintuitive to use it but it really worked for me is out mm-hmm. in space mm-hmm. like during the space battles when they got the shaky cam going yeah and they're kind of trying to follow this frenetic yeah, action that, i really loved if it they would have saved it for that i think that would be cool because that yeah. that feels like you're an embed you're like you know some kind of embedded press reporter it's trying to catch all the action it, it, it feels stupid because you're in this vast openness right? right and if you wanted to you could zoom out and take in the whole thing right from a, a single fixed angle but right but they don't. They get in sort of closer, whatever that means in space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and give you kind of a more personal feel there. But where I don't like it is where they do a lot of. This is just a scene of two people talking, and the camera is shaking violently. Yeah, I really found that distracting. Oh, I did too. But it's part of this show's style, I guess. Um, I also the other thing that like here's another thing I hate about President Rosalind. President Rosalind is keeping her cancer secret. Yeah. The fact that a president only has six months to live is highly religious and prone to having <laughs> prophetic visions uh-huh. is something that maybe the press should know. Uh-huh. And in a scene, like, like we just established this, that she's keeping her cancer secret, but then she 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 drops a Dama's secret about him using Earth as a carrot to Starbucks. I'm like, you son of a bitch! Yeah. Ha! Like if I was a Dama, as soon as as, as Starbucks started, fuck, I, hey, did you know that the president <laughs> is see, having crazy visions because of her brain cancer, and uh-huh. she's got six months to live, so she's desperate to try to get you know, like, like, like fucking play that card right back at her, put her on blast, yeah, make no, sure the that's whole one of fleet, the infuriating things about Ross. Yeah, yeah, call up the press corps and be like, did you know our president's got six months to live? She's dying of cancer, and she's got these, she's a religious fanatic, and she's yeah. seeing visions. 
quote unquote tumor transmissions. Like, <laughs> oh my god, she drives me crazy. Like, even her, yep. in this episode in in Cobalt Part One, even the, her chief of staff, Billy. Mm-hmm. Is like you're fucking crazy, lady, and she's still maximum. She's sitting there, stands with her fist, and like, nope, super not, super not crazy. Billy eventually gets viciously murdered, right? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't got that far. I think he does. I haven't got that far. I, I can't remember. I think he has his, like his guts torn out by a centurion or something. So, and then I remember the second where I decided not to watch any more Battlestar at the end of oh, part no. two of Cobal when Boomer flips her Cylon switch. This robot who's on a, a, a and maybe maybe it, it serves the Cylon's ultimate purpose, but she gut shots Oba, uh, uh, Obama. Obama. She gut shots Adama yeah. twice mm-hmm. from close range, and I'm like, this is just to have a fucking bullshit cliffhanger. And he's not dead because if he's going to die, she would have shot him in the head. Right. So as a robot. Is there is is as a Cylon? Is there an explanation for why she just didn't assassinate Adama? I don't think so. So that's fucking stupid, and yeah. that's a dumbass fucking cliffhanger. And I was over this show. And yeah. I hope you might disagree with me. And you might say that seasons two through three make everything worth it. But I hope you understand, as a person in my situation in life, who really hasn't changed much, would have lost the patience and decided this again. Yeah. Great show, lots of big ideas. Lots of thrilling science fiction action. It's just not not for me. Yeah, no, I think it's a great show with a few flaws. Um, one of the great things we haven't talked about is the music. It oh, was yeah. so different from any of the other, mm-hmm. I, I mean, really anything on TV at the right. time. It's the first time I heard of Bear McCreary, mm. who came up with this just brilliant drum-based right. score, this military-feeling score um, that then later morphs into this weird... Jimi no. Hendrix based thing. I don't. I don't fucking understand any. Also, of anytime, that. anytime uh, Rosalind starts getting religious, it's a little bit of back, little little uh, auto tune bagpipey. Okay, I don't, yeah. I don't quite remember that. Kind of like, I don't know. I can't. I can't quite explain the music. It's a little bit between auto tune bagpipey and generic evil terrorist on twenty four. Hmm. You know, like the. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. You know what I'm talking about. Anytime they show a Middle Eastern man walking into a mosque on 24, they play <laughs> I'm not the vaguely menacing Middle Eastern man music. Okay, and it's the combination of that and auto-tuned bagpipes. Hmm. That's President Roslin. I'm I'm getting crazy tumor transmissions from my brain music. <laughs> okay, um, but no, I I agree. The the kind of stuff yeah. that's going on during the space battles and during the Love tense it. military scenes is is, is is super cool. The the theme of the show is really good. Uh, it, why, does, why does Adama's best friend not know how to pronounce his last name? He pronounced Adama, Adama interchangeably in this first se- episode of the second season, which I found yeah. was super funny. Uh, Gaius is pronounced Gaius sometimes. Right. And, what I get uh, it, like, if you just... Uh, acquainted with the person sure but like him to be like this is adama's ship and it will be his ship until the day adama dies like <laughs> you just said it one way dude it's the same fucking take it's, what the hell it must be an inside joke for those guys maybe maybe and he's even though he's dying in the in in the sick bay it's, right he's still taking the piss <laughs> Uh, the the CG mostly we, holds. By the up, way, we I still think. have a shit ton of feedback, and we're okay. like an hour thirty minutes on this. Yeah, I, I got a few more things okay. I want to talk about. So the CG I think holds up better than it has any right to from being oh, fuck four, yeah. fifteen years ago at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I can't believe that anybody 
who works on the bridge of Battlestar Galactica could get anything done because of how dark it is. <laughs> it has like the darkest bridge of any sci-fi series ever. I feel like that's kind of like, you know, like it's it, like a submarine feel yes, to it. Exactly. And, and I understand that it's this old antiquated ship that, you know, they're going for a, a Navy kind of feel, but yeah. Plus all those, uh, it's, it's, all, it's crewed exclusively to young people. So they got that's per, true. they got they got great vision. They got those they're, young they're, eyes. They're eating. They're, they're they they eat their carrots. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. We can probably move on to the feedback. I'm sure there's some good stuff to talk about in there. Uh, yes. Let's get the feedback. Uh, Jay, nothing has corners for some reason. Russo says one of the things the article points out. Oh, he actually sent me the uh, the ascent that there's a nerdist article on the essential twelve episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Um, and I watched essentially the first five of those episodes, which was. Most of the stuff I wanted to watch anyway, because I knew I wanted to watch the miniseries just to make sure I was grounded. I knew I wanted to watch 33, because 33 is where, again, I really liked the miniseries other than the present Rosalind, but but 33 is where I'm like, ooh, these cracks are starting to widen. Uh, and I was going to just like start on season two and watch two or three more episodes, but then reading through the synopsis of the Cobalt Part 1 and 2, I'm like, oh no, this is actually going to help me crystallize. Um, but he, he sent this Nerdist article, the 12 essential episodes, and he says, one of the things this article points out, and I agree with, is the importance of the series finale. It might lack some punch if you haven't seen the whole series, but I'd love to know what you and Jim think of how Ron Moore ended things. I I didn't attempt, because I felt like it'd be the height of folly for me to jump to the season, the series finale, yeah. without yeah. understanding anything about the Cylon religion and the resurrection process and all the things that happened. Um, but I thought maybe you could could speak to that. Because it seems like you're ambivalent. I mean, I feel, I feel like I already have. Like I've told you basically the plot of it. But but you're ambivalent. About, I, I, yeah, you've explained it. But like you yourself, I feel like you're saying you're conflicted about what that means. And are you surprised mm-hmm. that Jay says that the series finale is essential or the series finale makes the show? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. I'll say that I don't think Battlestar Galactica has. Uh, well, it depends on what he means by finale i guess does he mean the final like three episodes because that's Pro- what it was okay um it says the series finale i, I assume that was just a single episode but... I mean, if you're talking about like them landing on earth and reestablishing a civilization accidentally mm-hmm. that is potentially going to re-enslave <laughs> robot ais i feel like that is definitely important right because it's telling you that the cycle is happening all over again with maybe the added twist of Things could go differently, right? Um, and and like, what is our role in making sure things go differently this time, right? But well, that I, also... I didn't feel like it was as good of an ending, or d- certainly as satisfying of an ending as like a Next Generation. Yeah, and that seems like something that Ron Moore wanted to say about the real world. That like, yeah, are we going to continue this cycle of escalation, provocation, mm-hmm. uh, um? destruction taking over bitter feelings leading to provocations like or is like there's going to be one point where humanity kind of decides enough is enough and i get it it takes two to tango and everything mm-hmm. um sometimes some one side has to be the the bigger side and someone has to like you know what there is we there we have put each other through hell and it's time to move on and for the sake yeah. of peace and change like is that do you think an adequate statement of what he's trying to get at or am i i think so reading a little too much into it i think so but here's so here's a flaw in execution i think in the finale um 
it comes down to like these characters being a little schizophrenic. Like I feel like sometimes they put lines of dialogue in the wrong character's mouth. So for instance, Hmm. in the, in the final moments of the series, uh, the apparition or whatever of six looks around at modern day earth society and says, Hey, does this remind you of anything? Shit's fucked. Look at all this decadence and, Mm -hmm. and runaway technology. Decadence. What, what the fuck does that mean in that context? Uh, it means, Gaius Baltar, I think, like uh, pinstripe suits and sunglasses. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but yeah, just like all the frivolousness of it and uh, the runaway technology. And then in in that same conversation, she turns around and says, hey, but, but we have a chance to change all this. Mm-hmm. Why are you the one who notices and points it out and then has this extended conversation with Gaius who never gives you a counterpoint? Mm. You're giving yourself a counterpoint? I don't. I guess you're just bringing up the topic, but you're doing it in a way that says you're skeptical that humans will ever change. Well, also and doesn't the even give time, a chance for Baltar to show he's learned anything either. Exactly. Like, I I feel like they put the wrong lines in the wrong characters' mouths sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have an obvious point counterpoint there that would make right. a lot of sense and would be within, like, a singular viewpoint from each of these characters, but right. you don't do it. And, I, mm. and that's where I kind of, like, lose the thread on a lot of this stuff is when characters just become a jumbled mess yeah and nobody has a solid viewpoint on it and and i can't track it clean Hmm. so i don't fucking know man jeff says i hope you comment on how prescient the series was as technology becomes more networked the greater the systemic risks okay sure um i can struggle with that it's because i was reading an article the other day that says as much as we're talking about you know cyber terrorism and cyber warfare that our system also has a lot of like not even that kind of hacker level risks like it was talking about like how much damage mm-hmm. you could do at a power substation and an axe mm-hmm. like it, like making you think that like man if we ever have real political unrest in this country like like citywide riots uh it could be far more destructive and dangerous than it's ever been before because we have developed this system of you know vast importance of automation, vast importance of electronics, vast importance of energy and power and yet have done nothing to harden any of the supply lines. It's like having you know a military scenario would be like you're fighting a war a thousand miles away from your home base and yet you're delivering stuff to the front lines in 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 Constantinople wagons on okay. mud roads you know yeah like because we haven't had to think about that um so yeah i mean i think about that a lot how relatively fragile the civilization that we've built mm-hmm. uh largely speaking for you know west western civilization and and uh, some of the um well i mean all all countries are moving towards this and 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 how how fragile and um unprotected it is from any kind of determined assault yeah i i look at the show and i also see how i guess short-sighted it is too because Mm -hmm. like the idea that these ais would not be just constantly linked that they'd be contained in some kind of weird metal bodies right that cylons and centurions would be a thing Uh i mean it wouldn't be it'd just be the Cylon and Centurion consciousness. Right. You know, it'd be more like the Borg. It yeah, seems yeah. almost almost laughable in the face of something like the Borg, which was done 25 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I do I, I wish... Know, the, the AI just won't take that form. I do wish 
they'd use a little bit of technobabble to salve my science fiction mind about some of this stuff because you're right like i remember also laughing in the miniseries they established the fact that these cylon replicants are biologically indistinguishable from humans mm-hmm. yeah they also have some sort of way to communicate to the home base through subspace yeah do you have and, a subspace and, antenna built in? I mean, I haven't seen like I haven't seen like your butthole or your dick. You I mean, could I, have I one there. I don't but... talk about that. It's not yeah. something I'm really comfortable talking about. Like that, so. That, so that's I always think it's funny that like six is seen as super humanly strong. Yeah, but she's biologically indistinguishable from a human. Except her spine lights up when she gets hot. It's super weird though, right? <laughs> it's, it's very it's, weird. It'd be yeah. like okay, like chimpanzees are five times stronger than humans. Uh-huh. Uh. There's biological reasons for that. The tendons are attached to different focal points in their arms. Their muscles are denser. Like, you put them on a scanner, it's right. like, no one would be like, this this chimpanzee body is indistinguishable from ours. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. The fact that... And at a DNA level... The fact that you have to die to be able about? to go home and tell everybody what you know is kind of dumb. I, I, I don't know. That I, I wish there was a little bit more thought to the main conceits of the show and, and making them seem plausible and believable but i think also had i been a different person when i sat down in 2009 and watched this and had the they they'd been a little bit more fair to the characterization of rosalind i wouldn't be saying this there's a there's you know this is the suspension of disbelief has no longer worked and i'm i'm nitpicking yeah um anubis 21 says i'd like to hear you guys talk about the heavy emphasis on the religion especially with the cylons <laughs> i think we've talked about Do you think that. it works or just makes them more confusing you probably won't get to it also but the first three or four episodes of season three are great with the occupation of new caprica by the cylons and the human resistance that's what yeah. you were talking about the trial of baltar right uh yes the early the the instigator for that sure mm. Uh, Cleveland Punk says, "What do you guys think about the effect of today's internet fandom would have had on the show if it weren't current? If it were currently airing, would I mean, there... there was internet fandom back That's what then, I'm saying, and like, it was a shit show. I mean, people ask me that about uh, X Files, mm-hmm. and I was on the internet when X Files was on, and it, you know, it was used. It was ever there. It was Usenet. Everything was going down in Usenet. Now, yeah. it's a much." smaller segment of a much nerdier community whereas now you've got lots of different peoples uh of all types of inclinations and mm-hmm. and and passions and experiences adding to the conversation but as long as i can remember there's always been this kind of fan like fan commentary like yeah. i have to go back to like my pre-adolescent to find that like boy i wish there was someone to talk star trek next generation with i wish there was someone to talk earth 2 with i wish there was someone to talk earth right. conflict by the time x files and beyond there was always an internet community to do this yeah there were message boards i was on some of them like, right the, it, there there was shipping like all of that stuff happened right. I, I will just say for the record that uh Chunky Jamie Bamber is a bad Jamie Bamber, and long-haired Jamie Bamber is the worst Jamie Bamber. What the hell are you talking about? But long-haired Starbuck is the best Starbuck. Who's Jamie? He's Lee. Oh. So Lee gets Lee gets chunky for a while. Does he? he yeah. He and goes then Charlie he, from It's Always Sunny. He yeah, adds a mass. He does. Oh, that's Mac. Yeah. He he goes Mac for a while. Add weight. And and then he he sheds that, but then he gains it in hair, and it's bad. It's just bad, Jamie. Yeah, he so- he 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 sewed mass and he harvested hair. <laughs> he did. Whereas Starbuck harvests hair and she looks great. 
So mm. I'm, I'm a big fan of long-haired Starbuck. I haven't seen long-haired Starbuck. I thought uh, short-haired Starbuck was uh, fairly charismatic herself. Yeah, there's no bad Starbuck, but long hair is my favorite. Um, let's see. Uh, also, he says he observes it's... Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, he goes, would the Reddits of the world have sniffed out the clues as to who the Cylons were? Almost certainly. And in fact, I there's there's got to be... You know, television without pity forums and oh, stuff dude. where you, there's, there's got to be forums where people have historically called that shit. So I rewatched the All Along the Watchtower episode, which it telegraphs. Well, there's where it. Jimi Hendrix comes from. Yeah. No, it, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I, it, it's this fucking weird melding of Jimi Hendrix and Battlestar you know Galactic Bear, at the end, and Bear I don't Creary get it. does that, because remember this fi- the final season that we just watched of The Walking Dead, where Ezekiel leads the resistance, and they, 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 he's like, you know what? This guy's a fake king. I'm going to throw some Renaissance Fair music in there. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's what Bear, Bear he does. does. He's like, oh, what's the most obvious thematic element? I'm going to grab it and go with it. Yeah, no, they, they straight up do a cover. It's this like crazy... Middle Eastern, like I don't even know how to describe it. It's a so really cool the, cover. They mix the 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 menacing Middle Eastern man mosque music and the bagpipes, with the bagpipes and Jimi Hendrix. And Jimi Hendrix, and out comes some <laughs> baffling combination of plot and music that I don't quite get. But right, it's interesting. But yeah, they telegraphed the Cylon stuff, and people would have been all over that. Um Let's see. Or would the show have to switch things up, etc.? Would there have been a bigger backlash at the ending? As I recall, that was the other thing that kind of cemented that the reputa- reputation this show has for kind of falling off the cliff in season four. Because that's is that is that a controversial opinion to state that like the fourth season and the ending is weaker than what people were expecting from the first three seasons? I I don't know. Is that a very is like I'm trying I to think is think is that so. a is that a minority opinion an extreme minority opinion or like I'm. Like a moderate position. I, I I don't really remember like what the vibe was around it. Um, that's I know that I was con- I was left a little consternated by it. I was a little okay. confused, um, but ultimately I think satisfied. Yeah, um, it's funny. I don't know the history on the show with you, t- or I didn't know the history on the show with you too. I would have guessed the opposite that you had watched the whole thing and Jim had bailed. Hmm. Oh no, I saw the whole thing. I was watching as it was airing. Maybe you like science fiction a little bit more than me and i like fantasy a whole lot more than you oh you that last half is definitely true (laughs) but i like science fiction a lot you do yeah yeah um minoj said i bias very heavily towards jim's pov here and i so would most of the commissioners i imagine the only thing i'd like to ask is to please try to understand why this show has a crazy cult following quite a bit of the time after it stopped airing the timing of the show context of war the issues it addressed uh maybe too many parenthetically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the incredibly stellar cast, the writing, not sure if some of the weak moments in seasons three or four really detract from the greatness of the show overall. So here again, even a pretty big fan is saying that there are weak moments in seasons three and four. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't deny that. And I agree. Like, the writing especially, I don't know about the plotting, but the writing and dialogue and the character moments really shine. And I, I, Yeah, mm-hmm. like, you get a science fiction show that has a great cast that has great characters and dialogue, and then you wrap it into mystery box within mystery box. That seems to be the key to have rabid fans. Yeah. So the 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 challenge of that is paying it off to where it receives receives almost universal critical praise. That's mm-hmm. much harder to get. 
Yeah, and um, I, I haven't really talked much about like how good the characters are, but that was one of the biggest hooks for me was just the relationships between the characters. I like the I like the made up slurs too and swears. Yeah, I, I was about to I was I wanted to make it more of a thing, but then I looked I just before I did I was going to go off about like what a brilliant conceit that is to get people dropping motherfuckers on a basic cable show. But then I looked up and Firefly had come out two years previously. Uh, yeah. And Firefly, I think, does that Chinese. even more classy. <laughs> yeah. Because Frack is essentially just a one-to-one thing for fuck, whereas, like, you can tell <laughs> exactly how much swearing the Fireflies guys are doing by how long the Chinese flows. Right. Or how many times they say Goram. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I feel like they get they get a half star taken away because they essentially just took a concept that really worked on, on yeah. Firefly. Uh, Matt from Boston uh, wanted us to put 33 on the required reading list or watching list, which already already we're going to watch it there, Matt. But mm-hmm. but we we think alike. Strong first episode and really rope into the series after equally strong miniseries. I did a quick rewatch of all three so that I can make better comments. The special effects and thought that went into the set design, space combat maneuvers, and world building were really on display. With any blatantly expository dialogue, the conflicts and struggles of the series are efficiently laid out with action galore. I thought it really stood up after 13 years. I I, I totally agree with all of that. And that first miniseries is really elegant in its storytelling. Yeah, one person... Like, tying... Tying it all together through six, like her physical form, like yeah. who, what she looks like, is just a really good way to do it. Yeah. Um, to tell like a, a big, a large, large what, chunk of that story. It's funny because one of our commissioners discouraged me from watching the miniseries because hmm. he felt like it was some of the weaker moments. Well, and I totally disagree. Really? I totally yeah, disagree. Like I said, too. my my sole problem with the miniseries was I felt Rosalind was a little thrower waiter, and maybe she needs to be. She's the school teacher, fifty seventh, and she's got something to prove against this yeah. admiral who has all the guns. And she, like I said, I, I don't think it's an unfair the the brinksmanship she's playing is uh, is unfair. It's just I wish it was better. Mm-hmm. I wish she was better written, and I wish McDonald had chosen a little bit of nuance to the role, but I don't know. Uh, the space combat is inc- uh, incredible. Flip around and fire while still heading away uh, yep. on inertia. Too many shows, films, treat space battles like air battles, <laughs> cough, cough, Star Wars. BSG uh-huh. battles seem like the type of battles that would really happen in Zero G. Again, I think Star Wars has its charm. Like, one of the things that you'll never hear me bitch about in The Last Jedi was the bomber sequence because it continues Star Wars' role of being essentially World War II in space. Right. So, But there's so much cool shit you can do agreed. with actual space physics. Agreed. Agreed. Let's let's see some of that. Like, if you want that in the modern era, go watch The Expanse. Yes, The Expanse. They do some really excellent the stuff. The Expanse, I think, is Battlestar perfected. Like, okay. if you want ultra-realistic politics, similar. ultra-realistic looks at... Uh, you know, like 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 near future or far future politics and space combat, and mm-hmm. it's it is really really impressive. Um, ba- Battlestar Galactica is gritty, realistic, action-packed science fiction series. It still has strong character development, and mostly well thought out story arc or arcs, and mostly realistic character motivations. BSG spot on the sci-fi world wasn't replaced in my mind until the Expanse came out. There you go. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, I guess I can't help commenting beyond season one. 
Overall, I really liked the series, but it seriously faltered as it went on. I would generally give season one through three positive marks, but the end of season three and four really went off the deep end with ludicrous and infuriating finale. <laughs> okay. All right. So apparently it was super I, divisive. Yeah. I am, you know, if, if, if the pool of fans that would actually shell out money to hear us talk about it is any indication, <laughs> even super fans have, have their quibbles with the show. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, Devin from Maine, really looking forward to hearing this podcast. I was in high school and college when Battlestar Galactica was on the air and was a huge fan, but when I rewatch these days, I find the experience somewhat lacking. I'm curious if it's simply because I'm older or because I've since watched some truly great television like Breaking Bad, The Leftovers, and Mad Men. I'm excited to hear your thoughts and analysis of BSG. I mean, when I watch especially the first seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, I have to put on the nostalgia goggles mm-hmm. pre and, 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 and drink to, 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 <laughs> I mean, there's still like, there's probably 10 episodes of star Trek that are as good as anything that I've seen on television. And um, there are 10 that are just unwatchably unwatchable, bad. laughably yeah. bad, laughably ham fisted and poorly conceived yeah. and, and just, just bad ideas all around. Uh-huh. Um, but that was the thing about episodic television. It's like, well, that episode sucked. Oh, Data is getting a dance next episode. Woo! Like, right? I even remember thinking that sometimes. Like, oh, that was kind of a turd. But oh, next week will be better. Um, and especially, it's it's harsh because this show, like I said earlier, does have such a good memory for its yes. characters' decisions that when they make decisions that don't seem based within their character, it's extra it becomes jarring. part of their character and influences further things later on. And you're like. Well, fuck, I didn't like this decision that they made and felt it was out of character. Now they're making more decisions on top of it. That's one of the charms of episodic television, honestly. Yeah. Like, you can course correct so much easier. For sure. Than when you've got a season that you can't just pretend didn't exist. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, again, it's one of the charms of it. I was hoping that you and Jim would spend a few minutes comparing BSG and Star Trek, especially Deep Space Nine. I know you both are fans of the latter, and Jim, mm. like me, watched Deep Space Nine after Battlestar. What? Well, I mean, you've re- I think he means you've recently gone back. Oh, I've gone, gone back, back and, and yeah, watched yeah, yeah. it, yeah. The two shows share a creative source in the form of Ronald Moore, who is a supervising producer of Deep Space Nine and executive ah. producer on Battlestar, which and a frequent writer for both. Also, both shows share tropes and themes such as enemies that can disguise themselves as humans, flawed heroes that reluctantly adopt religious mantles, and tactics which should freedom fighters, terrorists use when living under occupation. You know, that's mm-hmm. actually yeah. that when you put it that way, my God, Battlestar just seems like him wanting to tell a Deep Space Nine without the limits of Star Trek. Yeah, totally. Uh, because damn, he is he's he's hitting hitting all the themes there. Uh, both shows were format-breaking for the time. Battlestar wasn't held back by the limitations of the Star Trek universe. There's no Federation governors, no Quark po- point-of-view episodes. The characters are allowed to have interpersonal conflicts. Where do you two land on this comparison? Does grittier, more realistic space travel make for a better show? Can a show that was held back creatively be better? Why do you look back on Deep Space Nine more favorably than Battlestar Galactica? Well, I mean, again, we were younger. <laughs> and, and also, like, I think... Deep Space Nine was better from the jump than Star Trek The Next Generation was, but there are oh, yeah, a lot certainly. of the first few episodes before the Dominion War starts that are rough. I mean, it has one of my most hated the episodes. Ollie, Ollie free or Move whatever. Along Home, yeah. Move Along Home. Just a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, unqualified. And and yeah, I feel like there's some... Because I was having this debate with people about Star Wars because they're still... Like, it's... You know... 
I, I I like to try to be understood. There's some people that want to change minds, and like I you just it, that's a tall that's a that's every once in a while someone will offer a different way to look at something that changes a person's mind on how they see something. But more often it's it's like well even if I see your point still I don't like it. Mm-hmm. D Space Nine is and, and I use the analogy of like Transformers the cartoon. I love that as an eight year old. Yeah, it was amazing. Big robots that transformed into supercars and superplanes, and they fought, and it was cool. And a little boy was like fighting alongside the heroes. That's 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 awesome. <laughs> Go back and watch that. I, I recently watched as a mid thirties, and it's shit. Yeah, Star tr- Star or the Transformers cartoon is shit. Mm-hmm. Con- compare and contrast to Star Wars, which I loved as a kid, and I watched a New Hope, and I'm like that's not a shitty movie. No, that's 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 a gr- that's a great piece of American filmmaking. Yeah. Um. I think Deep Space Nine's closer to Star- the Transformers and Battlestar, if you can overlook its flaws, is much closer to Star Wars. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree that I think I think Battlestar is a better made show. I don't quite have the same nostalgia for it because I didn't see it when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, and if I had, if it had been reversed, I would absolutely love Battlestar far more than Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But I have such a, a built-in nostalgia for that show, and it was a truly great show for its time. Like you mm-hmm. said, uh, format busting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that a Star Trek show could be about a war mm-hmm. between the Dominion and and like I. I mean, we yeah, also there's have... with the Klingons, but like I, I always felt like Star Trek was this exploration thing yeah. um, primarily, and it became more about like the battle of the Federation trying to you know, remain against this power that was almost unstoppable. Well, also, we we revisited Babylon 5 a year ago, two years ago, and mm-hmm. I also, like, I feel like that's a forgotten science fiction franchise because, yes, yeah. the special effects are terrible. Yes. But I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, if the effects... But not as bad as I thought they were. I wonder if it had, like, the effects of uh, even Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. if if it wouldn't be... Not, if it wouldn't be better than, than all these shows we're talking about, but... Was that a sci-fi show? No, that was a, a syndicated, like, on Paramount, or Par- Par- like, VPN, or VP... What was that? The, the hmm. Paramount Network? Viacom, Par- VPN, was it? UPN? UPN, thank you. Um, huh, wow, okay. But uh, am I thinking then, of Farscape? Is that what I'm thinking of? You might be. Okay. You might be. <laughs> yeah. Or the Kevin Sorbo one. <laughs> sure. Which one was that? Andromeda. Andromeda. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of piece of shit, uh, <laughs> I so he, my way is like I feel like these are like Pokemon. Um, Deep Space Nine is the 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 level one Pokemon. It evolved to Battlestar, which mm-hmm. has then achieved its final form in the Expanse. Okay. That's that's cool. I like that because like I feel like if you you can see that like I, I think it's it's easy to see in his feedback to Battlestar is kind of Ronald Moore's perfection and distillation of the things that worked in Deep Space Nine and I think Expanse is even taking the ball further because yeah uh, I forget who the, the the chief diplomat of the UN is um, she's got like a really elaborate name but she is a much better version of what they're trying to get at with President Rosalind I. T- Man, her accent throws me every time. But, you know, but, but her yes. characterization, like it, it, absolutely, whenever she absolutely. takes a strong stand right. against yes. someone, like it's it's it, it's it, the universe seems like it's full of smart people that have really good points, and yeah. they enter and and they're they have they're not cocksure and full of themselves, and the ones that are are appropriately seen as foolish and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah that's 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 how i that's that's why the the view the the whole thing anyway jesus even if you didn't like my i i think i i think i, I kept it to much less than 25 percent of the cast was me bitching about battlestar oh yeah uh and it's a two-hour podcast so y'all got your money's worth you sure did um i hope you guys enjoyed it <laughs> and i watched like seven hours of battlestar for this so uh, yeah, I, I put a lot of effort right, into this. Right, and I, I watch more than I normally would because I was self-conscious, you know? I like, wish I, that I, I had don't the like time. Disappointing, I don't like disappointing people right. that commission podcasts, so... Um, that just feels bad for everybody. Yeah. And I wish, like, after watching these eight episodes or whatever I watched, I wish I could go back and watch the whole thing before we did this podcast. Just no time to do it. Sure. Or I wish I had... I, yeah, like, if I... Because I really, like, I felt like I was back in 2006, you know, yeah. watching season three of this thing. And it does going, seem like yes. some of the meteor stuff with the religion and politics would have been interesting. Even flawed as it was would have oh, had a, weekly a lot show more discussion. Oh, thing yeah. would have been so much fun. And it would have been cool if I had more background to, to be able to go back and, like, rewatch the finale and give a better answer of how I feel about that. And But right. I just didn't. And I probably... I'm not going to. Um, uh, real quick, one other thing before we get out of here that as a podcaster, I would be remiss not to mention uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed at the time when I was watching Battlestar Galactica is Ron Moore's podcast about it. Uh, he actually did like a commentary style podcast for a lot of the episodes. I don't think it was every episode of Battlestar Galactica, but a lot of them. When you say commentary, you mean he just talked so, about the making of or was he talking about fan theories or... Because uh, I no, could see that he, going a lot of different ways. I, it was less like fan theories. It was more about like production and themes. Like he would get into like what were we thinking when we wrote this part of it? You know, mm. what were we trying to say with this? Um, it's it's actually really really interesting. And he would also do like, oh, here's where I don't know, uh, Adama broke his legs, both of them, and we had to stop filming for five weeks. That didn't happen. But were they released like? the week of the episode come out or were yeah. like the whole season dropping in a retrospective no it was okay. like it was kind of like we do so there's no spoilers podcast. go looking forward or looking back or no. anything like that interesting no but it was really really cool and it had this great atmosphere too where it was like him in his home office just sitting there with a glass of whiskey and you could hear like the ice rattling around <laughs> was there anyone else with every... him ever did he like have like uh, other... i think he had some yeah some other production guests from time to time but it was such a cool thing to be able to get like almost real time, uh, you know, this real time commentary from somebody who was it, it kind of puts in perspective involved. the other commissioners' question about what if this show were released in the internet savvy era, <laughs> like uh-huh. Ron Moore was doing a podcast. I probably there was a community consuming it, so uh-huh. uh, I, I was part of it. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I, I really think that's worth listening to. So. That's the commission podcast for Battlestar. Um, we, we're going to continue to try to catch up on the queue as best as we can. we got a little bit of a lull in the content. Um, I'm not sure what's coming out next because I, we got a commissioner who's kind of wavering about uh, what, what, they, what, what project they want us to work on. So we might have to sh- shuffle some things around. But, uh, uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be more stuff coming out. And the schedule looks, looks pretty fun and pretty cool from what I can tell. So we'll be back with another one real soon. Yeah. And until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.